and welcome to the Disenfranchised Podcast, where that podcast all about those franchises of one, those films that fancy themselves full-fledged franchises before falling flat on their face after the first film. Uh, and we are closing out tonight our three-part miniseries, The Kinganing, The Drawing of Three. I am your host, Stephen Foxworthy, and joining me as always, the man who can see your dirty pillows, but then everyone can, it's Tucker. Hey, Tucker. Hi, Stephen. How's it going? It's going all right, man. It's going all right. That's cool. Yeah. How are you? Yeah. You know, I'm all right. Yeah. Right on. Yeah. 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 It's, a, it's a Monday night. We got an episode dropping in a few days, and we're just going to chill out and record it for yeah. a little bit. It's just going to be you, you and me, though, because I got a text from Brett a little. I don't know if you got this text from Brett a little while ago. He, he's uh, He's stuck in a high school gymnasium, and there's a fire. What? I don't really know what's going on, but I hope he's okay. Um, it sounded pretty dire, but I hope he's okay. We wish him a speedy return. Um, but yeah, this is the third week in a row, Tucker, where you and I have sat down because Brett has, we, we did a whole month of horror shit and just Brett has just not been here, which is, um, weird. That's a damn shame. Really, That's usually the way we can get him in the door. We're like, Hey Brett, yeah. horror stuff. And he's like, I'm there. Son of a bitch. I'm in. And, and he, he just like, fuck you. No, he didn't actually say that. He does wish he is here. I'll tell you what though, guys, just between, between us, between, cause we're family. If you're listening, you're family. Um, like Olive Garden. Kinda. Yeah. Except, you know, with, with less shitty Italian food. Um, mm, shitty Italian food. I know. Right. Mm. Even, even when it's shitty, it's still kind of good. Um, it's real good. It's, it is. Um, if you want to hear Brett this month talking about something Stephen King adjacent, you need to be on Patreon because this month on Patreon, we are covering, and I think this will drop Sunday, this upcoming Sunday. Um, if I remember to do it. <laughs> if you remember to do it. You sure didn't remember last week's What Are We Watching? Hopefully it's I'll been posted by it. the time this drops. Hopefully this yeah. episode drops on time. Fuck, dude. <laughs> oh, so. gosh. Just it's anarchy. Everything's just thrown into a tizzy. Um, but uh, sign up for the Patreon, patreon.com slash disenfranchpod. Uh, we are covering the Rage Carry 2 for Unenfranchised this month. And uh, Brett joined us for that conversation. So we did get a chance to talk to Brett this month. And you get to hear all his wonderful thoughts on the movie that we're, well, on the franchise, uh, the remake of which we are discussing on today's episode. And Tucker, what movie are we covering to close out our Kinganing drawing of three miniseries? You know, I almost said the Rage Carry 2. <laughs> I almost no, no, said no. it. That's behind it, the paywall, dude. That's behind the paywall. Still, it's just still sitting here on my desk. And I was just I, looking at it and I was like, man, I wish I was watching that movie right I now. Did, I did the same thing when we recorded the Rage episode. I said, like, that's a swan thing. And it was because there was an, I was looking at IMDb and there was an ad for the, uh, the new season of Feud, Capote versus the Swans, which I'm very excited to watch. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And so I said, it's a swan thing. And I was like, fuck, no, it's it's not. It's not that. It's another thing. And I had to correct myself. But that's why I did that. Word. We are covering 2013's remake, reinterpretation of the source material. Depends on who you ask. Yeah. 2013's Carrie. We are covering 2013's Carrie, directed by Kimberly Pearson, starring Chloe Grace Moretz, Julianne Moore, Judy Greer, Gabriella Wilde, Portia Doubleday, Alex Russell, Ansel Elgord, 
and motherfucking Barry Shabaka Henley. We stand a motherfucking legend. What a cast, Tucker. What a picture. Yeah, dude. It's a really good cast. It is a really good cast. Even the actors I don't particularly like, like the dude that plays uh, Johnny Tommy. Who's the... Uh, Ansel Elgort. Yes. Like, I don't particularly... Turns out he's allegedly a piece of shit, so... I don't have... Well, I mean... He can allegedly kiss my entire asshole, but yeah. I don't... I don't know anything about him. I just don't normally like the movies he's in. I liked him in the the Edgar Wright movie. He was really good. He Baby Driver, he's good. Uh, Spielberg's West Side Story, he's phenomenal in. Oh, I didn't see that. In a very similar vein to what he's doing here, honestly. Yeah, well, maybe I just don't like uh, that that movie he made where he like he likes the sick girl. Remember all those sick girl movies he had? Oh, for a while? yeah. Which one was that? Was, was that me and Earl and the them? Dying Girl? Or you know what? He might have been. Let's let's fucking no, do it's... an Ansel Elgort <laughs> sidebar. God help us all. Um, let's let's fucking do that. I guess I don't know what we're doing. Yeah, the dude. Fault in Our Stars. He was in. He was okay, in the that's, de- that's the, the John de- Green one. Yeah, that is. He's in the Divergent series. Yeah, um, he sure fucking is. He sure fucking is. Um, God, what else? Um, Paper Towns. He also was in Paper Towns. Good God. This is his first movie. His first on-screen role in Point of Fact is 2013's Carrie. Really? Yes. He's also in Jason Reitman's Men, Women, and Children. Um, Paper I Towns. Uh, he he's actually better than I. I was just like motherfucker. Why is he charming? Right, <laughs> he's great. Like I was just like he, motherfucker. It, both him and the girl that plays Sue Snell, they're really good at like, uh, kind of expressing how complicated these two characters are mm. because they're not bad people, but you know they're kids. So sometimes they do shitty things, but at least they have like the the hindsight to be like, oh, that was shitty. Right. Which and I think the way they portray that is very like in the original, it, it was kind of ambiguous until the end. Even when you see private moments between the two, you're still not sure. You're like, are they fucking with her, though? Right. And but I think in this, that's you could intentional on De Palma's genuine. part in the yeah. original. But yeah, in this one, they're definitely like and I think that's I, I think part of that is also the other adaptations of Carrie, though. And I've watched every cinematic or stage adaptation of Carrie over the course of the past three days. So I've been like eating and sleeping Carrie. Um, It's something that gets like Sue's motives get clearer in every subsequent adaptation. Um, Now I've not read the source material, so I don't know if that's baked into King's novel at all, or if that's just something that's just become clearer over the course of the, over the course of the telling, I don't know, but like, I think it's pretty clear in the musical in particular, the 1998 stage, 1988, excuse me, stage musical. I think it's fairly clear there. And then I think the 2002 version also does, I think casting Candace McClure there gives you a kind of a real sense of her vulnerability and authenticity, which is something that Candace McClure plays really well. Um, and she would go on to do that in Battlestar Galactica also. Um, Word. But um, I, I think it, it it just becomes, I think, progressively more obvious 
uh, and more baked into the thing as as these adaptations go. Agreed. Agreed. And Tommy becomes more his own agent than in this one than just kind of a guy who's going along with it. Yeah. Which I think is, I think that part of that is in King's novel as well, from what I've read. Like Tommy begins to see Carrie as a friend because he actually takes the time to get to know her versus here where we're just kind of, or versus like the original where you don't really know what his motives are. Although he seems like a genuinely nice dude. Yeah. Um, well, like in this one, you can, you can really see that he's, he's starting to, you know, enjoy mm-hmm. his time with her and, and they're becoming pals and stuff. Yeah. Uh, I think that's, that's very clear in this one. And mm-hmm. I think it's the performance kind of rests on that. And I think both of those actors really, they play it well. They sell it. They really do. I believe yeah. it. I believe it. Now I'm so. glad it doesn't go as far as the stage musical, which they like, Tommy and Carrie end up in love by the end of it, uh, which is really weird. Uh, They don't end up together, obviously, because everything plays out the way that it does in every other adaptation. But um, like Tommy starts to fall in love with Carrie as they're dancing and Sue's standing on the sidelines screaming, why, why did I set this up? Is he falling in love with her? What did I do? Like that, that's a whole like brief little section of the musical, at least in the 88 version. I didn't, I didn't see the 2012 re- vibe of it so you see kind of a hint of that in here because the gym teacher lady thinks that's why sue stell is there right yeah and that's why she kicks her out and she's well, like no dude like no it's just like doesn't matter i'm judy that's, Greer. <laughs> that's part of I the love judy Greer. she's great in this too bt dubs no uh, judy Greer is always excellent no we we stand judy Greer 100 percent um but she does this um betty buckley does that in the original film as well like kind of shoves Sue out when Sue's trying to stop. Sue sees mm-hmm. Amy Irving looks up and sees Chris and Billy and Nancy Allen and John Travolta and the bucket of blood um, and tries to like stop. And like, you see Betty Buckley, like pulling her back and like keeping Yo. her from, from going forward there. And I like how much more sinister the bad kids are in this one. Like when they're up in those rafters and dudes, is like, dude is like, yo, this is a straight up felony. That's fucking good, dude. That's also in the 2002 version, which leads me to believe it's probably in the book. Like John Travolta is just kind of a doofus in the original. Yeah. They're all just kind of like idiots. Uh, Nancy Allen. Malicious. Yes. But they don't seem like they're just like, they're not like rabid. I get the impression that no one in the cast knew what movie they were making in 1976. Like Piper Laurie thought the whole thing was a dark comedy. And she's like, why else would I be playing it so over the top? Like that's, that's gotta be what you're going for. Right. And then Nancy Allen said she thought that her and Travolta were just playing like the, the idiotic comic relief. Like, and then she saw the movie like, Oh, we're no, we're evil. Um, Oh, that's, that's what's happening here. Okay. Um, Nancy Allen, who would go on to marry Brian De Palma. Nice. That's the thing that happened, yeah. Oh, so, yeah, Brian De Palma, who's a creepy, weird dude, but I don't think he's ever done anything like wrong, like as far as I know. But he named his <laughs> daughter Lolita. So, by the uh, friend, friend to this director, they are friends. They're close friends. Is oh, what I read. right on. The director of this film and Brian De Palma. Okay. The director of this film, of course, um, Kimberly Pierce. I'm familiar with because. She directed Boys Don't Cry. 
and that oh. was uh ironically given the title one of the first movies that really made me just like ball my eyes out interesting i was like maybe 17 when i saw that and i was like what the fuck have you seen that movie, Steven? I have not. I've not seen that or Stop Loss, her other her other film that she made. You Those... should see Boys Don't Cry, but it's really it's really upsetting. So be prepared for that. I mean, yeah, I figured. Yeah. But it's it's a wonderful movie and you you, you need to see it. It's kind of wild to me that she uh, didn't get like a blank check after Boys Don't Cry because uh, it's usually. I agree because that was but... a big deal. Yeah. Like, it was an indie film, and it made a shit ton of money, and it, word of mouth on that was everywhere. Right. Um, and then she didn't make another film until 2008, uh, and then didn't make another film after that until this movie, and then hasn't made a film in the last 10 years. Well, well. Which, I mean, as, has she has she gone to TV? Like, I guess that's kind of my, my question then, because... Um, yeah, it looks like she's been doing a lot of TV. She's done just yeah. kind of episodes. Uh, since this, she's done episodes of uh, Manhattan, American Crime, Game of Silence, Halt and Catch Fire, I Love Dick, Six, Dear White People, Kidding, and P-Valley. Oh, Kidding. That's a really good show. It's that Jim Carrey show, right? I want to rewatch that. I, I need good. to watch yeah. I've heard good things about Halt and Catch Fire. I don't know anything about that. Um, but then following Boys Don't Cry, she directed an episode of The L Word in 2006. So really nothing between 99 and 2006 either. Like, and I'm, I'm sure she was had some projects in development, but the fact that she can't take the, the success of Boys Don't Cry and parlay that into something bigger is honestly an indictment of Hollywood and their treatment of female directors, quite frankly. Yeah, I would agree with that. Because this thing is actually, I think it's well directed. Like I, there was I a lot so that I liked about this movie. I, I'm just gonna put my hand, my cards on the table. I, I enjoyed this. I had, I had fun with this one. I, is it, is it a perfect film? No, no. but I had a good time. I, this one, for me, it, it's weird because every scene in this film. I either love or hate like there's mm. nothing in between. Oh, wow. and for me, it's, it's almost like the tale of two films because there is an original interpretation and adaptation of the source material that is always fantastic. Whenever they're doing something I've never seen before or doing a scene um, in a slightly different way, that really stands out to me but then the other film that's in here is the just straight up remake beat for beat of carrie right which I and it's almost it's almost like they're you know checkered in there like one after another because you have a really great scene and the next one you'll be like what the what the fuck like i've dude, seen this done do better no, somewhere yeah. else yeah <laughs> like when they're doing something interesting with it it's one of the best movies I've ever seen, especially from around that time. Right. And um, there's some missed opportunities. There's some missed opportunities in there as well. Like the cyberbullying angle that doesn't ever really get touched on so much as just to kind of gloss over like, this is how kids bully now. And then we move on. Yeah. Um, 
So another problem I have with this movie, I do like this movie. I promise I do. But look, we can like a movie and still have complaints about it. That's I have nitpicks because I've seen it a bunch of times. That's what it means to think critically about film is to be able to enjoy something despite having issues. The problem with the parts that are a straight up like damn near shot for shot remake of the original film Mm -hmm. is that they don't feel like a modern film. And that even extends mm. to like Carrie and her house mm-hmm. and everything about her and her mother, even their car. It's almost like the Brady Bunch movie where like they're from the seventies, but they're right. somehow been plopped into modern times. Well, and I think that's how this, the, they're trying to convey the religious fundamentalism of it. Because I mean, it, if you look at a lot of like, religious fundamentalist individuals it's it's the long denims it's like fashion stopped in the 60s and 70s they drive a 40 year old car and still use like a little zenith tube radio from the 1940s like sure no i i mean no dude (laughs) i i guess it depends on the degree to which they're fundamentalist honestly um I, I I came from a pretty conservative religious background. We can get into that more later. I don't really want to dig into that right out of the gate. Um, but, you know, I had I have a lot of thoughts about kind of uh, that. I've been digesting a lot about religious extremism lately. Um, so I revisiting Carrie kind of dredged up a lot of stuff and made me think about a lot of things. So um, I'm, I'm interested to get into that. So just heads up 17 minutes into this episode, if you're someone who tends to dislike when I, when I talk religion, maybe sit this one out. Cause it's going to come up. It's part of my background. It's who I am. It's where I come from. It's, it's going to happen. It's, it it's is relevant to relevant our discussion in the context so. of this discussion for sure. I know not everybody likes it. I know it's not everybody's favorite topic and look, I get it, but it, it, it's germane to our conversation. So it's going to come up. Um, before we get into all of that, Tucker, I do want to ask you about your history with Carrie, um, as a franchise, as a property, what is your familiarity with it? What do you know about it? Like kind of let me have it, man. Oh, uh, how exciting. This is good. Uh, I have, I've, I feel like Carrie has existed in my life since before I can remember things. Because it's one of my mom's favorite movies. Oh, the right on. Version, of course. Yeah, of course. I met your mom. She's a sweet lady. Yeah, she's all right. <laughs> oh. Your dad's fucking hilarious too. By she, the way, he's ridiculous, man. He is. He's he's a he's a crazy cat. He's uh he's quite a character, you could say. He, he sure is. I was but calling you. To- I was calling you Tucker, and he's like, "Oh, I don't. I, I'm Tuck, so I'm very confused right now." <laughs> yeah. It was that was a fun conversation. Yeah. Well, like I say, the original Carrie is one of my mom's favorite movies. And so I feel like I've kind of known about it forever. Mm-hmm. Like you like, knew about it before you had actually seen it. Well, and I've I was never until I was of age, I was never technically allowed to watch like R rated movies. Gotcha. You say technically um, there because it. I'm assuming it happened once or well, twice. Well, the, the lines blurred when I turned about 15 or 16 and I started getting into horror. So like there was really 
like they're like well he's into horror like how are we gonna not let him watch r-rated movies and he's like 15 so he's probably fine you know right um but i'm sure i saw like a tv edit of it when i was younger okay i'm almost sure because i know we had it on vhs tape like taped off tv so right i saw i saw the the network tv edit so it couldn't have been that bad sure yeah uh, but I've always known about it. Um, like I said, a couple weeks ago on the Christine episode, uh, I did have a small period of my adolescence where I read a whole bunch of Stephen King books. Right. I did read this, but I don't okay. remember anything about it. I I, I, I learned I something binged, this week. Apparently, it's an epistolary novel. I didn't know that. I didn't know it was like Dracula. Like, it's all like letters and accounts and shit. I had no idea. It's not. Well, yeah. Uh, and Stephen King said that was like what kept him writing it is because that was fun to do those to like mimic the styles of the different like press releases and like witness accounts and stuff. I mean, we have a friend who frames everything that he writes as some form of epistolary something or other. Um, JP Leck, friend of the podcast, yeah, past and future guest. Guy. That guy. Pretty that much guy. everything he writes is some form of like third party writing. Um, Although it it all seems to sound, you know, very, very much his kind of more, shall we say, floral prose style. But yeah, that's true. That's true. So, yeah, I don't remember anything about this book. Um, when this one came out, of course, I I was really into the Rage Carry 2. Really? You? Worth mentioning. Yes. And, uh, you know, if you want to. The fact that uh, I had to, like, push this back, like, I had to keep it on the. It was on the schedule for November. I had to keep it on the schedule and build an entire theme month around it because you so desperately wanted to cover the Rage Carry 2. And I, I told you it wasn't going to happen until we could cover Carry 2013 on the main feed. I, I, I said, we, we, we will cover. And so I. The things, the links I go to to make you happy with scheduling, Tucker. And I appreciate it. I really do. That's all I ask. All I ask is to be appreciated. Yeah. That's all I want. <laughs> I do. So I saw this movie when it came out. I didn't. Mm. Uh, I didn't see it at the theater. Um, I was going to ask where you where you saw it, but no, not at the theater. Then okay. I had a friend that worked at a family video. And so I got all the the codes from all the movies that were coming out. Oh, that's nice, dude. No wonder your voodoo is as stacked as it that's is. That's why, well, and stacked and full of shit that I don't even like. Because I was just getting random codes <laughs> and popping them in, being like, sure. right, let's see what's up. Let's we're going to watch this up. now, I guess. Which is why At you've got to break maybe. it down into the this is shit and this is not categories. But yeah. Yes, that's why I have lists of my voodoo, yes. Most people probably don't use that function, but uh, I have to. <laughs> because i polluted it in the early days <laughs> tainted it early early and often i did, I did. um i saw it and i, I liked it a mm -hmm. lot i i still felt very much like i do now that it's kind of two movies and i like the one that's kind of a, a new take yeah it's, I, it's I a feel 50 50 like... movie man it's so weird I feel like every decade, I, I mentioned this to you in the chat, like every decade someone decides we need to revisit Carrie. And I have a theory as to why that is. I think it's because the more high school life and high school reality changes from decade to decade, high schoolers generally remain the same. 
they're very petty. They're very concerned with appearances in general terms, of course, um, petty concerned with, with image and vanity and popularity. Um, they're the, those on the in crowd, those on the out, um, like all of these things remain true within the dynamics of high school as we progress through the decades. So the story itself in that sense is very evergreen um, without being, and then we can, we can adjust some of the details and try to say something. And this is where I think it tends to get murky with all these different various adaptations, try to say something about what it's like, what life is like for teenagers today. And I think that's where these remakes and adaptations tend to miss the mark. Which that's the most important thing about a remake. Agreed. That's the goal of a remake is to take this thing that worked back then and switch it up a bit so that it works now. Like interpret it through a modern lens. Exactly. And this movie gets it half right. And and I, I mean, again, watching the 2002 version, watching the... um. The, the rage carry two in 99 from 99 watching the 88 musical like all of those things become abundantly clear like we're taking it up to a point but like there's been a carry adaptation every decade since the novel came out there's one in, there's a, a movie in 76 a musical in 88 also in 88 jason versus carrie friday the 13th part seven the new blood my favorite of the franchise so of course i have to count it uh, 99, you get the Rage Carry 2. A couple years later, you get the Carry Made for TV movie that Brian Fuller wrote. And then you get in 2013, uh, about 10 years after that, you get this this movie. And I sent you guys a link the other day that they're considering another one with uh, Hunter Schaefer uh, to star in that one. So, I mean, there's, there's something in that story that I think is evergreen that we find ourselves continuing to come back to. And I, I get it. There is something very universal about this, about this story that there's, and there's a lot to do with it. It's just, can it be done well? And I would argue De Palma is the only one to do it really well, but I think this movie comes closest after De Palma. I think this movie comes closest. I think as much, as much as I, think that the rage carry two would have been better off not being a sequel Mm -hmm. i do think that it does as far as interpreting that story for a modern audience i think it does the best at that you know even though it's not a remake right i think that it i'm and maybe I mean, not certainly... in every way, but I think it's the strongest. Like because, like we said in Unenfranchised, peek behind the paywall. Mm. Um, <laughs> like it's really good at being, you know, nineteen ninety eight. The movie I was going to say it's certainly uh, more than any other movie. It feels very much of its time and place. Like this movie gets a lot of details right, but then some others kind of go for a more timeless feel. Like the when they're trying on tuxes. Tommy like stops on the one that's got like the ruffles on the, on the front, the, like the fringe ruffles on the front. And you're like, well, that's very, that's very 76. It's very, and very similar to the tux that Tommy Ross wore to the prom in the original film. Like there, there, it, it tries to kind of ride those lines in, in various ways. Like the way that the, the white family uh, comports and carries themselves. You, you, you mentioned very 1970s, very old fashioned. Um, so again, I think it, it, 
but but in terms of crystallizing a film and its time and place I don't think there is any movie more 90s <laughs> than the rage carry to I I again like I'm I'm sitting there watching it going like go can't hardly wait like all those movies from like that late 90s period that are just so 90s like all those teen movies and rage carry 2 absolutely belongs in that conversation absolutely does you really need to see Idle Hands, Stephen. It's it's kind of upsetting that you haven't. See which one? Sorry. Idle Hands. Idle Hands. Yeah, I haven't seen it yet. Another another one from '99. The that's same years. That's gonna be another one that you're too. gonna you're gonna add to that list of movies that are, you know, late '90s. The movie. Probably. Yeah. I mean, you know, you got the the Devin Devin Sawa, Jessica Alba, but all that that doesn't really surprise me much. Seth Green. Seth Green. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Also in Can't Hardly uh, Wait. A very young Elton Henson, Vivica A. Fox, oh, Jack Noseworthy. Oh, God. Okay. Yeah. The late 90s in yeah. the movie, man. <laughs> and I mean, this it's one's really got big. that early 2010s energy to it with that cast. Like, And the thing that's really wild about it, and this feels radical, even though it, it doesn't feel like it should feel as radical as it does, Chloe Grace Moretz, the first actual teenager to play Carrie. Yep. Um, never mind the fact that the rest of the cast is practically in their 20s and a good 10 years older than her. Like Chris and Sue are both like in their 20s, I think. Um, the uh, the act are I think the youngest members of the cast are maybe like three years older. So they're like 18. But she is like straight up 15 in this movie. Um, and it. I, I think that works in creating a sense of isolation and longing because what younger teenager doesn't look up to and feel kind of awkward around older teens and like people that are more progressed and mature, quote unquote mature. Um, like, I feel like that lends a lot to particularly the first half of the movie and her performance there. Um, I don't know. What, what do you, what do you think about Chloe Grace Moretz in this film? I think she's really good in this movie. I do too. I think that they did a really good job of, um, I don't know, like with the way she had her hair and her wardrobe and stuff, they kind of made you believe that she could be like an outcast, mm -hmm. you know, and she sold it too. Yeah. Which if you see her in anything else, she's a cute gal. Yeah. And they don't they don't ugly her up or anything like they don't no. put her in glasses or put like a big hairy mole on her nose or, or something. give her like, like, you know, pigtails or whatever. Yeah, it's all it's all in the performance and mm -hmm. uh, like the costume design, yeah. honestly. Yeah. And it I think. Yeah, I, I think she's an incredible performer. I really do. Um, and we, this is the second movie we've covered from uh, of hers fairly recently. We covered the fifth wave not too long ago. Oh yeah, I forgot yeah. about that movie. Yeah, because it's sucked <laughs> because it's very forgettable. It's an imminently forgettable movie. I a forgot lot of those, it. Like as a lot soon of those, as we recorded that podcast, yeah, out of my brain, out of your brain. A lot of those YA adaptations kind of fit into that zone of just like this is so incredibly fucking forgettable. Um, yeah. yeah, you know, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, so. Um, but I think, and, but I remember her being one of my favorite parts of that movie as well. 
And I will say the things that I enjoy most about this movie are the performances, particularly mm-hmm. yeah, everybody's her great in this, and Julianne I Moore. I think those are that's that's a one two punch, and you need those two characters to really hit. And I think she really hits in this. Um, I mentioned on Unfranchised yesterday the thing that I was missing in so many of the other um, Carrie figures in these movies is like the facial expressiveness that Sissy Spacek really brought to it. And she was able to do a lot just with her eyes and watching CGM in the like last third of this movie, uh, Chloe Grace Moretz uh, watching. I got it. I got, I I saw you thinking real hard. I saw those gears turning and smoke starting to rise out of your ears. (laughs) You got there. Somehow I got through the headphones, man. I don't know. (laughs) Without overworking. It's good. Um, Like, She's she doesn't quite hit the basic levels, but she's doing more with and I think a lot of it might be CGI enhancement as well, like upon reflection, but it feels like her eyes really pop in a way that and I know one of her eyes is like blood over it, like it like the like a blood vessel is burst in her eyes, kind of the image that we get, which I know kind of helps that stand out a lot, but like she's doing the 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 eye acting that SpaceX is doing again not quite as overt not quite as it's it's not it doesn't pop quite as well as hers does but i think she's doing it better than angela bettis or emily burgle no offense to their performances whatsoever they're both great but i think she's doing that to a greater extent than the two of them are well i would i would disqualify emily burgle because as we discussed yesterday she is not playing carrie I did say Carrie figure, but yes. Okay, I'm, I'm just saying. So I don't know. I don't know, man. Let the record show. Yeah, completely I think different ca- character. I, uh, completely yes. different character. But in related, so and therefore a Carrie figure. They are sisters. Spoilers. If you haven't Half seen Rage, the Rage Carrie too, they are straight up sisters, dude. Spoilers for an almost thirty year old movie, a twenty five year old movie. But no one's seen it. That's the problem. No. <laughs> Look, it's on it's on HBO Max right now. Go watch it. it sure is. Check it out. I Can't think it's matter. I think it's look, I think it's worth watching at least once. Are you gonna like it as much as I do? Probably not, but it's not a waste of time for sure. Right. So I mean I watched I watched all the carries. Um it, yeah, it I was I mean it's it's my probably my least favorite of the carries, but you oh. know. Yeah. Well. Sorry. It's a, it's a tough room, you know. Yeah, you know, not it, look, not everything has to be for everybody, and that's okay. No, I'm not cool. I'm not cool. <laughs> yeah, I'm way into that. But um, hey, man, how many times is the principal gonna like the principal calling her different names? Is like the like the pearls in Batman's parents' death scene. It it's is just in every. It's it just carries over. It's like you know you're. That's how you. Oh, I'm going to carry a movie. He called her Cassie. <laughs> or Casey. He he does Casey in this one a few times. Yeah. It's a, uh, I mean, it's, it's kind of a staple of the, it's, it's a staple of the franchise, it is right? It's like, staple. Yeah. Like how do you, and, and that it, it's, it's kind of a shorthand. Like how do you convey checked out educator? Like guy who, or, or, you know, because because that I think that's the great irony of that character in all of these adaptations. And I think Barry Shabaka Henley is, hands down the best actor to play the principal in any of these adaptations. Like, I was going to say that too. Motherfucking Barry Shabaka Henley. That man can do no wrong. Uh, I, I love that man. Every time he shows up, it is a treat. 
even if it's a movie I don't particularly like, like The Terminal, I'm still having a good time because Barry's there. Like Barry signed up for this? Hell yeah. Um, Love him in Collateral. If you've not seen Michael Mann's Collateral, the scene with him and Tom Cruise is fucking bone chilling. It's so good. Yo, Collateral's one of the best films ever made. It is my, I think, second or third favorite Michael Mann movie. Mm, And given like it's it's like that heat is number one with a bullet because i fucking love heat yeah but Heat's one of my top is five the most michael mann movie that you can get no it's not i no, feel like that's you clearly have not seen miami vice because miami vice the is the most michael mann movie that ever did michael mann uh, yeah michael mann is michael manning so hard in miami <laughs> vice you're right but the close second Okay, it's collateral. I, okay, I'll give you close second as collateral. He's Michael Manning his ass off. He movie. is. I think he is. He absolutely is. You're not wrong. Like the um, character archetypes, like the dynamic, yep. like it's mm-hmm. the same thing he does in all of them. But this mm-hmm. one, it just feels like he's like, all right, guys, I'm really in the groove on this yep. one. And then, and then Miami Vice, and he's just like fucking gloves off. It's Michael Mann season, bitch. Um, but he... Like it's so it's heat collateral and inside in the insider. Like those are my top three. Um, and I don't know where I, I know I put heat at number one, but the other two I, I would need to rewatch to figure out where I put them, but they're both amazing masterworks and I've not seen Ferrari yet. I need to, um, but it's been a few years in it, but it's a Michael Mann movie. What, what the fuck yeah, are you talking I know, about? But I don't know. I'll probably see it at some point. I'm just not like, tripping over myself to i mean i'm not like i'm not obviously i'm not rushing out to see it like i haven't seen it yet i'm gonna but i just haven't done it yet i'll probably watch it if somebody's like hey you want to watch ferrari with me i'd be like okay smoke a bowl watch ferrari hell yeah (laughs) i or if we covered it on the podcast i i can't see any reason why we would cover it on the podcast what about the ferrari too dude about ferrari michael mann is not making ferrari too he's just not hey he's just gonna write the novelization right look (laughs) if if for some reason heat two falls through we can cover heat on the podcast but i it's not gonna fall through and we're gonna get ferrari too mark my words (laughs) i i for i ferrari will be the next chapter the missing pieces heat two will be the first sequel michael mann has ever made i think Honestly, if we're going to cover a, a Michael Mann fo- movie on this podcast, we have a better chance of covering Last of the Mohicans. Oh, yeah? Since that was part of a book series. But Nobody I have no... I, I mean, the, the character of um, Natty Bumpo, who was renamed uh, for the movie because... Uh, Michael Mann thought the name Natty sucked, basically. <laughs> well, um, he called him Nathaniel Poe, is what he called instead of Nathaniel Bumpo. Um, just took the bum off. Just lo- drop the bum. It's cleaner. Um, just called him Nathaniel Poe for the movie. But uh, that character appears in like several James Fenimore Cooper novels. So we could, that's the one I could feasibly see us covering. But. We, I think that we should do Manhunter. Oh, you know what? Manhunter is on the list. Manhunter is absolutely on the list. I love 
that movie. I think Manhunter fucking rules. My second and favorite Michael Mann movie. There it's is collateral. Manhunter. There is some patron then... support. There's some patron support for Manhunter as well. So yes, let's do it. The Fox, people that pay dude. our bills want Manhunter. Put on the schedule, dude. I look, man. When magic yeah. schedule wizard, do it. If we didn't have something scheduled for Ferrari, I probably would have done it when Ferrari oh, came right. out. But we what already we had something scheduled. Around? Oh wait, tell me off mic. Type it in the chat. Like no, for, no, Ferrari Ferrari already came out. Like Ferrari came oh. out last month. What did we cover? Uh last month in we were in the middle of our Black Christmas a thon. Oh fuck it. Well then okay, that's cool. Whatever. We already had something else on the schedule. So yeah, we did that instead. Yeah. And that like that kind of bites us in the ass a lot of times. Like we've got a couple theme months coming up this summer. And so like anything coming out those months, we have to kind of move around. Like I had to reshuffle yeah. our, our Dune episode or the episode that we have coming out to tie in oh. with Dune because we've got a, the week Dune comes out, we've got a straight up. And then I had straight to do the same up. for, I think I had to do the same for when Deadpool three comes out because again, I think same problem. We had a straight up scheduled. So your podcast, your, your episodes oh. just get in the way of everything, man. Just fuck everything up. They're worth it, though. I get to share my favorite movies with my friends. <laughs> but we do have the next episode of Straight Up dropping at the end of February. So the the odd February is a five Thursday month. Be there. Be there. Because it's a leap yeah. year and the first and last day of the, of the month. on the leap on day. Thursday. It will. That will be our leap day, leap day episode. So very exciting. Stay tuned. And that episode, of course, it does not fit our general format. It's just whatever the fuck Tucker brings to the table. So yeah, dude. Yeah. So you're, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to run it the next time. I wasn't, I wasn't thrilled with my hosting abilities that you just, dude, you just gotta, you just gotta warm up to it, man. The more you no, do it, the better so you'll good get at it though. But you're so good at it. Steven. I've been doing it for a hot minute. I had a whole I other know. podcast before this one that I was hosting. Job. So look at you. So, and before that, job, like I, I emceed my high school talent show at, at, as a sophomore in high school at age 15. So the same age Chloe Grace Moretz was when she did this movie. Hey, hey pulling hey, it back. Hey, hey, pulling it back. You know, I um, don't think we have to do the plot in 60 because it's Carrie. Are you are you thwarting the, the coin of justice? Because I don't know if if this got announced last week. It absolutely did. I do it know. Did. But the it coin did. of justice is 100% back, my friend. It's back. It's back. I moved. Though and you found never it in put the it on the socials. You never put it on the socials. I didn't. I didn't put it on the socials. So I guess we're even for miss oh, you God. missing. Um, for for you missing, what are we watching this this past week? Yes, still has not been released. Um, but yeah, let's go there, ahead. Guys. Let's I'm go ahead and do time. the plot just in case no one's ever seen Carrie before. Can we do the plot in thirty seconds? Um, if it falls <laughs> to you, yes. Oh shit! Okay. Uh, if it falls to me, fuck no. Oh, um, it's easy. I can do it right uh, now. Well, then why don't you just go ahead and forget do the it. coin? I got it. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. It. You got the coin out, Stephen. You went to all the trouble to talk about the coin. You brought it out. I mean, like it's here. We're here. Just go ahead and flip it. I'll call okay. it in the air, Stephen. Um, all right. So th for those of you who have not tuned in before, welcome. Uh, the, this is the plot in 60 seconds. This is a part of the show where at the behest of the coin of justice, we flip the coin. 
Tucker calls it, wherever it lands, that determines which of us will be recounting the plot of the episode in 60 seconds, or if it lands on Tucker this time, less. Everyone understand? Great. Tucker, call it. Tails. And it is Tails. Fuck yeah, dude. Fuck yeah, dude. All right, put 60 on the clock, dude. Oh, shit. I got to do stuff? Damn. Yeah, man. You got to do stuff either way. When it's just the two of us, you got to do stuff either way. Damn. One minute. Okay, Steven, I'll tell you when it's 30 seconds and when there's 10 seconds left. I will start the timer when you start talking. So Julianne Moore is on an episode of I Didn't Know I Was Pregnant and she tries to kill her baby, but then decides, hey, I love my baby instead. Um, And so she doesn't kill the baby. And instead of killing the baby, she raises the baby. And it turns out to be Carrie. And she's an outcast and no one likes her. Uh, She gets her period for the first time in front of all her friends and they make fun of her. And like she doesn't have friends, though. So they're all throwing tampons and telling her to plug it up. Uh, her friends get in trouble. One of the or the girl, one of the popular girls gets in trouble. Uh, it's disqualified from the prom, so she can't go. So she vows to take revenge. So her and her boyfriend uh, collect seconds. a bunch of pig's blood. Uh, she also posts a video of it on the internet, and the teacher's like, "Oh well, I guess if you didn't post the video, we'll just go ahead and let you go to prom, and she won't give up her phone." Uh, so she obviously did it. Um, so then um, they go to the uh, the one of the other popular girls convinces her boyfriend to go because she feels bad about what happened. Um, so she he takes Carrie and they go. She gets pig's blood dropped on her, but she's also telekinetic and uh, kills everybody. And um, except for Sue Snell and the teacher, and then she might be. Alive. That's time. I don't know how to turn this off. <laughs> I'm. What is happening? There we go. All right. When are you? Since when are you a luddite, dude? Man, I never use the timer. Never. Apparently not. But yeah, uh, I mean, look, I, have you seen Carrie before? Because it's that. With a hey, couple of differences, really. Hey, you guys, it's, look, it's Carrie. It's Carrie. Really, pretty much. It, this okay. feels very indebted to the to the De Palma film. Like, very indebted to the there De Palma film. There are shots and sequences taken directly from it. Which is why I think it's more of a remake of the De Palma film than it is a re-adaptation of King's novel. But there are some elements that they put in that De Palma left out from the novel, too. That's the big problem with this movie is it can't decide. It can't make up its fucking mind if it wants to be a reinterpretation of the novel or an adaptation of the novel or a remake of the De Palma film. Like the Brian Fuller made-for-TV version, despite being a made-for-TV version that very much is filmed like it was made for tv and it's cast with largely tv actors it it's, it's fine it's it's a little deal. worse than fine but it's got a lot of actors i really like <laughs> in it and a couple i really it's don't on the like. it's on the bad side of fine but it's still fine it is it's got it look it's got candace mcclure it's got like the it's like, got the dude from officer and gentleman man it He's does it has the most perfect looking woman ever created by god rena sofer in it as well like she's in there like it's it's got some great performances in it uh but at the end of the day it's still amazing it patty fucking patty clarkson as margaret white fuck yes please and thank you fucking love that woman um like insane performances but it's still not great like it's like all that in service of this really like it's filmed like a tv movie like all the like language that kind of like that language that kind of makes 
the the original novel works so well and the original film works so well is just very neutered because it's made for tv like mm-hmm. so you got to cut all the profanity out of it or most of the good profanity out of it um like it, it just kind of all feels very very neutered and and it's not it's not great um the bad side of find uh, as tucker yeah. said um but that feels more like a straight up adaptation of the novel than it does a remake of De Palma's film. And, and because of that, you can tell what De Palma did and did not take from the original source material. Like mm-hmm. Billy has a lot more agency both in this film and in the 2002 version than Travolta's character Billy does in the 76 version. Yeah, like a straight up criminal, like, yeah. He's a straight up criminal. He is. And like, he strikes me as one of those guys like, like home improvement boy from the rage carry Two, who's just kind of gotten away with it because his father's one of the influential people in town. Mm -hmm. Like that's the impression that I get, but I mean, he knows like, I I feel like everybody, all the popular kids, parents are lawyers because they all know like, well, I, this is, this is criminal intent. I know that. like, this is criminal. Certainly a, that's this is another, felonious intent or whatever he says. Yeah. Another running gag in the carry series that even the rage carry two included mm-hmm. was the lawyer parent. Yeah. Coming to save the day. I like in, in, in this one, um, the bit with the phone that does kind of modernize it a bit. And I love it, that because whether it, they meant, whether ahead. they meant for it or not, the fact that they show a video of her doing anything is reminiscent of the rage carry too. It is. Feels like kind of influenced it just a little, just a, maybe it didn't, but to me, as someone who's a big fan of that movie, like I couldn't help, but think of the rage carry too. When the no, video was I, up, I was like, Oh, I well. thought of that as well. Like it, but it's also, I think it, it, I think the rage carry too is part of that conversation, whether or not it was intended by the filmmaker or not. I think it's definitely part of that conversation. But the yep. it, it I think it's also very much touching on the ways that teenagers bully each other now versus the way they would do it in the 70s. Like mm-hmm. dropping pig's blood on someone is a fucking traumatic thing. Absolutely. But to do that in conjunction with playing a video of the most embarrassing moment of their life when they're terrified and naked and victimized on the ground, like mm-hmm. screaming and terror that's like an extra layer of awful that we're just kind of putting. That's like that, that just shit layer on that, like absolute shit Sunday. Like it, it, it just really drives home how awful these kids really are. I really liked in this one that Carrie was, um, that she reacted to Tommy getting hit with the bucket. Mm hmm. Because Which is not in any like other adaptation she, of this. Yeah, like she knew he was just, like she knew that he wasn't part of this. Like mm-hmm. he's the he's the Jason London of this one, where she kills everybody, but she would she would she would be like, no, 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 you you go because you're one of the good ones, right? Yeah, I mean, well, he shows up to the party late. He's obviously not a part of it because he's the last one through the door. Yeah. Um, and but, that, uh, and but but Tommy I mean the fact that he's the... go ahead. I say when Tommy gets hit with the bucket on this one, like he's, she's pretty distraught about it. And I feel like that's the, it's the pig's blood, Mm -hmm. the video, 
and the fact that the bucket that the pig's blood was in killed Tommy. I, that's the impression that I get because he's he don't want very few people pass out with their eyes wide open. I feel like he in every version the bucket kills him, but I mean it's a bucket. I know, I know. I've never understood that. I'm always like, oh man, they knocked Tommy out again. Yeah. Oh, actually, no. Yeah, I remember now. He's actually dead somehow. I was going like... to say, in this one, it's it seems a lot clearer that he dies somehow. Like, oh, the, I think there's the... blood. Maybe is there blood? Here's the thing: you can't tell because there's pig blood all over that stage. Oh yeah, fair. And fair. he's wearing a white tux, and he's also covered in it. Like that's that's the thing is you can't tell where that blood's coming from. Just again, that's part of the story and blood a very essential part of this of the storytelling and, and kind of King's whole initial storytelling as well. And there's some religious significance to the blood also, which I will get into later as well. But like that's um, all of that, I think is really interesting, but no, you're right. It's that, it's that triple whammy that really sets her over the edge. Whereas on top of the, the shit that she's lived with day in day out for the last, however many years she's been at the school. Mm-hmm. because I mean, these kids have pretty much been relentless to her. Like she accidentally hit someone in the back of the head during gym. And she's with the volleyball during gym and she's terrified. Like you can see on her face and they start laughing. And so she starts laughing and then someone just turns to her and says, you eat shit. And then it, it's over. Like the fun is over for her. Yeah. Uh, and she's right back to where she is. And then this embarrassing video gets posted of her. It's going viral around the school. She comes in. Carrie White eats shit is like smeared across the lockers. Like there's a hell that she's enduring every day. That all leads up to this moment to where she when she finally when she is finally allowed to let her guard down when she is finally allowed to enjoy herself. And this is, I think the great tragedy of every adaptation of Carrie and the great tragedy of Carrie herself, when she finally feels at a point where she can be happy where she can be relaxed, where she can finally try to figure out what it is to be herself. Right. Cause that, that's She's the whole thing. Finally about... vulnerable. Exactly. She can finally be vulnerable around people. The whole thing about being a teenager is you're discovering who you are. Yeah, And that is itself a painful process to come into your own and discover who you are. Um, and she's doing that. And she's, she's finally taking those steps and to be cut down in the worst way at that moment is I think such an incredible betrayal for her that she lashes out in. And I, I mentioned this yesterday on the rage carry too. Brett mentioned his frustration with the fact that, in every adaptation quote, Carrie has to die. Mm-hmm. And I, I said that I saw her as a tragic figure on par with like the Frankenstein's monster or the, fra- or the creature from, from Mary Shelley's Frankenstein in that the real monster is not Carrie. Carrie's just as much a victim as everyone else. The real monster is the one that created her in the same way that Victor Frankenstein is the monster of Frankenstein. Margaret White is the real mo- and and also the bullies. Those are the real monsters of Carrie. Mm-hmm. And the fact she just happens to be the one with the supernatural gift, with the supernatural ability. So she's the one that gets painted as the monster when in fact she is just the tragic figure that everything is put upon. Look, I she doesn't I mean she has a little bit of control over her powers, but she has just started kind of fucking with them. Right. 
in this movie. So you put someone through that kind of traumatic experience. I don't even know if they're trying to murder everyone. You know what I mean? I would say that for most other adaptations of Carrie, but I don't know if I can say that for this one, because if you look at the, and this, again, it's all in performance. It's the one part of, of CGM's performance that I don't like is she seems to, by the end of it, she seems to be enjoying it. Like there's, there's some malice to that performance and it like, I don't know that I like that from Carrie. Because I don't know. I mean, with if that amount of trauma, you kind of snap. You you would do things that you wouldn't normally do. You would behave in ways you wouldn't normally. And I think that when you see her post all of her fucking murder spree, right? Um, she doesn't seem like she's very happy with herself. Like she seems mm-hmm. really, really upset. And I yeah. I have to imagine that some of that is because she just killed a shit ton of people. Right. Right. I'm saying you do shit when you're upset that you don't like afterwards. You're like, what the fuck? Yeah. I, of I course, mean, this is on a huge scale, you know, right. but it's the well, same kind of thing. I feel like. And I almost, I, I found, and again, this for, for our patrons, you know, that I within the past few weeks have watched, or maybe you don't, cause I don't know if that was in the episode that Tucker didn't post or not. Um, but I had recently watched the act, uh, the Hulu series, the act with Patty Arquette and Joey King about Gypsy Rose Blanchard. And that I was, I was thinking a lot about that as I've been watching Carrie, because it's at least not in the, not in the actual like particulars of the situation, but in how it all kind of culminates in the death of the mother figure very much. So like the, there's this trauma that's been just kind of dumped on this child for the entirety of her life. And when she finally has the means and the agency to push against it, it ends in very horrific ways. Um, and, and I guess in that one way only, those stories are very similar, but um, I, I couldn't help but start to draw that comparison, really. Uh, what did you think about her mom's death? Because the TV movie version is the only one that does it like the book. Right, where she like stops, stops her heart. Stops her heart. And yeah. I think in a book that plays really, really well. I agree. But I wished, I wish they could have pulled it off in this one because it just seemed so derivative and the performances were so good. I, it was still taking me out of it. I was like, this is, wow, you can't like, come on, like don't do the same exact thing. You're kind of building to that though. Like the whole movie and and we see more of it in this one than we do in any other adaptation carrie becoming adept at using her powers like we don't Mm -hmm. see it in any other adaptation but we start to see her like becoming aware of them the the part of she uh, searches magic powers on google (laughs) well i mean in the original it's carrie going through a library index and pulling out the card for miracles so it's not well even in the rage carrie too like she was at the library because we still weren't like in modern internet times right right internet was still fledgling like is this is this valuable for research was still very much a part of the conversation in 99 i remember Mm -hmm. i remember actually being told in high school that i could not use the internet as a source for research papers so yeah it was that very much that era um but the um like she and then the scene in her room where she's levitating the books and like making like so we're building to this moment which kind of i really hated how that looked same 
because it was all CGI because, and it fucking sucked. Well, and instead of like using the CGI to make it look realistic, they just CGI'd some books on strings. Mm-hmm. Like, like they didn't make it any better than the yeah. practical effect would have looked. They did the same thing when she broke the mirror and the pieces are in the sink. Like, and the the pieces start to kind of float up a little bit. I'm like, this is this looks so shitty right now. Like, it's like this if is it, so it, bad. It, and it would be so easy to do. Like, mm-hmm. if it looks worse than it would be look practically, and practically would probably be easier than to CGI it. What the yeah. fuck are you doing? Right. Well, it's not that the thing is, it's not easier on the day. It's not easier in the room. Um, in the room, it's easier for an actor to just like look around in awe at all the books that are flying everywhere. Um, but it's harder in post-production. So we're putting, we're just shoving that all off till later. And that's, I think where yeah. Hollywood starts to get into a problem. Yeah, um, I agree. But we see a little bit of her using those powers earlier. Like we see her with the wires at the dance, like when she electrocutes everybody and starts walking on air. Uh, and then we see her with the car when she fucking murders, straight up murders Chris. Like we see her like lift the car in the air and then let it drive into the gas station. Like we see all of those things play out, but I think it's been building to this moment with her and her mom um, to where you see every sharp object in the house just come out and after she's been stabbed by her mother, Mm -hmm. when she's really just seeking comfort. She's kind of defending herself at that point too. She's 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 trying to stab her in the face. Right. Like she is a, she is a child, a vulnerable child who has been hurt and is in pain and needs the love of a parent. And instead, her mother stabs her in the back. Literally stabs literally her in the back. Her in the back. <laughs> like, and so there is this... It's, like, on, it's so on the nose, it's still kind of on my nose. Like, I'm right. trying to get it off a little it's, bit. It's, it's been there the whole time, there. and I've, I've been meaning to say something, and I just haven't been able to work myself up to I'm it. I'm trying, so man. I'm, I'm glad you brought it, it up. <laughs> but, like, you, like, they kind of... Sh- like, there's this burst of, for lack of a better word, rage, and they kind of... Sep- like, she blasts them apart. And then her mother comes chasing her down the stairs with this giant ass fucking butcher's knife. And in her, again, as a means of defending herself, all the sharp objects in the house come and like convert and like form a circle or a semicircle around her mother. And like the thing I appreciated about it. And again, I agree. It does feel kind of derivative. It's like, well, this feels like something out of X-Men. But the thing I appreciate about it. And again, it's, it's overwrought, but I always appreciate it is that her mother ends up in the crucifix pose. Like she's got straight up stigmata going on. And again, yeah. I, as, as a religious person, I can appreciate that particularly given the focus of this character. And one thing I will say about Julianne Moore, I think she's almost as good as Piper Laurie in this role. Like, I think she makes this character so I agree. fucking terrifying. Like, and I, I look, I, I love Patty Clarkson. I love Piper Laurie. Like they both do an incredible job. I think Julianne Moore, this is the year before she finally wins her Oscar for still Alice. But like, she was one of those actors who was always in that conversation for a long time. She's the most unsettling of all the Carrie's moms. Like she's the one that really kind of makes my skin crawl. And I think because of the, the reason for that, at least for me, it's because it feels very grounded in a very real kind of person. Like Piper Laurie is playing everything very big, very broad. And I think that's why Piper Laurie thought 
the original Carrie was a dark comedy. She's like, I can't be going this big and it not be a comedy. But it like, works because the lady is insane. Exactly. But Julianne Moore's portrayal is rooted in like, and I think Patty Clarkson does this as well, but on a much smaller scale because TV, but yeah. like Julianne Moore's character is rooted in such a real place. Like it's the more very grounded. And that's what makes it scary. Agreed. Too. Agreed. Is because she is just a textbook fucking sociopath. You believe and that people like her exist religious. in this world. Yes. You see her do the things where she'll, you know, give Carrie a little bit of praise and give her a little bit of love and then immediately just start treating her like a piece of shit and hopping mm -hmm. back and forth and like yep. like pushing her and pulling her and it's fucked up, dude. She's really good in this movie it's it and that is again it feels like a very real observation of religious fundamentalism which is on its face all about control like that is yeah. what religious fundamentalism is and it's it's the, it stems from this idea what most fundamentalist doctrine comes down to is we're the right way everyone else is the wrong way and it's because we understand this one particular section of it better than anyone else does and that's that's I mean, when you come to a church whose entire theology is based on a specific interpretation of a specific notion, run, I guess, is is my as, as someone who has studied this, lived it and taught it for so many years, run, fucking run. Um, I mean, like she seems a, a fundamentalist on par with like the snake handlers in Appalachia. You know, you know about the snake yeah. handlers, right? Yeah, she's definitely out there in the in the outer reaches mm -hmm. of the faith. I the mean, outliers. For those of you not familiar the with the really, snake really, really, really Baptist. Right. Oh god. <laughs> and see, that's the thing is, I don't. I think the smartest thing that these adaptations do, and I don't know if King. Abs I actually looked up her character biography on the Carrie Wiki, and I didn't see anything about a specific religious affiliation. I think that's fucking smart. Because I think most people can look at her and go, well, she's crazy. She's on the, the fringe of the fringe. Like she's so far out there. She doesn't even subscribe to a specific affiliation. And oh, she don't by, even go to church, man. She by pinning one, because all the churches are too, my guess is too liberal, too permissive. They made her, they forced her to stop homeschooling Carrie. Yeah. It's that bad. They don't do that to anybody. Yeah. No. It's that bad. It is. <laughs> There's a, I mean, and, and you get this a lot. I guess this is Stephen's Christianity corner. Welcome. Hey, hey, here we are. We Dusting we had, the corner I, off for a minute. I knew I knew we were going to come dust. back here. Um, but like that 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 kind of exists within a lot of these very restrictive fun. And again, I grew up in a very conservative Christian denomination. What? Um, I would say the part of the country that I lived in was the one of the more conservative spots for this particular denomination historically. Oh, it is um, the buckle of the Bible Belt, Stephen. It is. Well, look, I <laughs> the church that I went to was a little more permissive than most, but when we would go to like the big district events, like the big camp meetings or whatever, like everybody else there would be in three piece suits. Um, women would not wear jewelry or makeup. All the hair was a bun or a beehive. Like the, like the, the higher the hair, the closer to God, I guess was the logic. Uh, yeah, no skin, no skin was showing except for like your face and your hands. And that's it. Like it was just insanely restricted. And I remember as I was a kid and going to certain events, there was a, 
an older lady who was at all these events and she would just complain about, well, the Lord keeps laying on my heart about modest dressing for these girls running around in these jeans and these pants. And I'm like being that person, right? That fucking person. Like what the fuck? Like you don't have anything else to worry about, but that. And her, and her husband would have to like apologize for her every time. Like it happened every time. Um, So, I mean, I was in, I was in a more conservative space than most. Um, my parents were not that, my parents are conservative, but they're not, they were not never that conservative. Like my dad took us to a movie despite being on the church board. Like we couldn't go see movies in theaters. I won't tell the church board, Steven. He's not on the church board anymore. It's okay. Oh, okay. Um, and I don't, he doesn't even go to that, that denomination anymore. So we're, we're good. Um, word. Um, but like we would go. Like, but when we went and the first movie I ever saw in theaters was Prancer uh, with hey. Sam Elliott and Cloris Leachman and Abe Vigoda. Um, and a reindeer. And a reindeer named Prancer. Um, but when on our way there, like my parents didn't tell us where we were going until we were halfway there. And then my dad was like, no, you cannot tell anybody at anybody at church, anybody at school, because we went to the school at, at a church in this denomination as well. Yeah. You can't tell anybody that we saw this movie. You cannot tell anybody. And we didn't, we didn't tell anybody cause we wanted to be able to see movies in theaters again. Cause it was really cool. Um, but like, that's how conservative this group was. Um, and I was a part of that denomination until my twenties, honestly. Um, I was a, when I was a youth pastor, I was a youth pastor in that denomination. Um, like that's, but I was a part of more progressive churches within that denomination until ultimately I broke off and started going to like independent church, not independent Christian churches. Cause independent Christian churches still believe that you have to be like immersion baptized in order for Whoa. baptism to count. And again, that's kind of one of those like very specific interpretations that the entire salvation rests on. And I'm like, that's dangerous. Beware of that. Yo, like, if the priest is not, or if the pastor's not using a, a squirt gun, I'm not getting baptized. Sorry. I'm out. I'm Deal sure breaker. there are pastors that do. I'm sure there, you know, Tucker, I'm sure, there's, me, I'm sure there's a pastor out there who would baptize you, even if it meant you got to drink from the fire hose. Yes, dude. I did find the marble of the oatmeal, if that, if that matters <laughs> at all. Well, you know, as Jesus does say, uh, blessed is he who finds the marble in the oatmeal for he shall drink from the fire hose. So that's one of the most famous passages from one of the, the entire Bible. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's from the book of the ultra high frequency. Um, <laughs> that's the one. That's the one. Yes. Um, my favorite, but the, and again, like, I think it's smart that King doesn't subscribe a specific, like religious background because her, her, what I think becomes clear over the course of the film and over the course of the story is that her religious ideology is not based in anything biblical. Like Carrie, I think at one point in this movie even says that's not even in the Bible. Like the Raven was sin. There's no Raven. Um, there, the, the rave, the only Raven that I can think of off the top of my head that's mentioned in the Bible is the one that, um, that Noah sends off the ark. Uh, doesn't he, he, seem very sinful to me. Right. He and the Ray and Eve was weak, which again is a part of a very specific interpretation, but nowhere are those three words put together 
anywhere in the Bible. Throw that, you don't just throw that around in any context. I mean, you can't, you don't right. just take things out of context and be like, nope, it works. It, I'm going to make it work for this. But no, Fuck but you, see, it works. that's very much what religious fundamentalism does, though, is they have yeah. a very restrictive, limited view of the world, and they have to bend the rest of Scripture to fit that worldview. I think evangelical even evangelicals excuse me fucking do this like i was watching a tiktok earlier today from dan mcclellan who is a really incredible bible scholar um who is talking about like the ways and the ways that the original text depicts god and how we land on one interpretation based on kind of our priority throughout history like we land on a more greek idea of the personage of god and so we have to like revise and negate With the robe and the beard right the toga and the dude no it gets so much fucking so deeper green, than yeah. that like it gets so, like the idea that god is 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 this kind of unknowable holy unseeable figure when mm-hmm. in in the past in scripture you see characters coming face literally coming face to face with corporeal god god in a in a physical corporeal form and then when you get into the more greek ideology with the idea of like god being spirit or psuche in greek like you have to kind of retcon that as those ideas become more prevalent within the greek translations of the old and new testaments you kind of have to explain away some of those ancient occurrences to be something else or to be not really god um but th- but again that's very much an example of the kind of overtime work that the Christian brain is willing to do to justify the stuff that they believe. And they do it all the time. They don't recognize that they're doing it, but it's absolutely a part of the the conversation. It's a part of the process. And I mean, as someone who taught it, I got very good at explaining some of those things away. It's something that I'm becoming more cognizant of as I get older, the ways in which that scripture is in and necessarily needs to be in conversation with ourselves, with itself rather, and the way we need to be in conversation with it. So it's, it's, it's a much more dynamic thing. So to all of that to say, when we get to the character, I think of Margaret white, keeping her ideology vague, but very restrictive is really helpful here. Like she is radicalized. Um, And I think that Julianne Moore plays that so well that we can think of the most like adamant Bible thumper that we've ever encountered and then dial that person up to 11 and we start to get close to where Julianne Moore is coming with this particular characterization of Margaret White or with who Margaret White is as a character at all. Like that's really... I think a really important part of what makes that character work is how well grounded she is without being so well grounded that we're subscribing a particular ideology to her because there is no ideology that fits. I'm not sure what King's um, original like inspiration for that character was, but I think making Carrie the product of that environment as part of one of these ultra conservative, ultra fundamentalist families, in my mind, that gives her an extra layer of isolation that gives her an extra layer of otherness, gives her another reason to be othered by her classmates to the extent that she is this outcast in every conceivable way. 
And it really, again, victimizes her even more because this was not a choice she made. This was the faith that she was quote unquote born into. Um, like her mother thought that marital, I mean, we get the sense that Carrie was conceived out of marital rape, which is fucking wrong. But like, that was the only time that she, that character had ever had sex, like period through the entirety of her life. And because even the thought of sex was in and of itself sinful in her mind. And I've, I've, I've heard of people like get that. babies though. I've heard of people that, that believe that way though. That's not an unheard of thing. Like I, but that seems I, like such an easy counter argument. How do we keep the population going? How do we fulfill God's first command to be fruitful and increase in number? Right? Like, yeah. Are we reading the same book? Like what's going on, man? But, but th- I think that's what it ultimately comes down to with a lot of these fundamentalist ideologies is we're not because we're reading it through very different lenses. And what fundamentalism ultimately is about is control. It's about controlling a group of the population or a group of people by, you know, kind of dangling this carrot in front of them when I think true religion, as it is described throughout scripture, is about helping other people, is about loving unconditionally uh, and not, you know, only loving people who vote the same way that you do or who look the same way you do or who go to the same kind of church that you go to. Um, we all tend to be very good at drawing lines and drawing distinctions. And that I don't think is what true religion is or what it looks like. Um, biblically speaking, at least, you know, from the book that I'm reading. So I don't know, chew on that, I guess. Like I, I, I think, I think by and large people tend to do it wrong because we let ourselves get in the way. So let me ask you something, Steven. Yeah. You've, uh, are you a King James guy or are you a New International Version guy? What's your... I'm a New American Standard guy. Oh, whoa, coming in with the wild card. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Um, I also like uh, the, um, not no, I almost said New King James. That's not it. New Revised Standard's another really good one. Now, when you did your education on mm-hmm. theology and philosophy, yeah. um, did you As part of this study... denomination that I was talking about, too, by the way, that's where my did schooling you... comes from study about the differences differences between the translations was that part of the curriculum at all i i did more than that i was a greek minor Fuck i this, i minored in koine greek which is to say co- the common greek or the greek of the new testament like that was that was i took a minor in that like i took speak um, some greek steven here's the thing i don't speak it koine, <laughs> koine, i can only read it like <laughs> No, but, here, but here's the thing. Koine was a spoken tongue, but it yeah. was written as it was spoken. So, a word. but Koine Greek, like the, it's like re- trying to read old English today. Like mm-hmm. it doesn't make much sense to us today because modern Greek, even classic Greek, like Homer's Iliad is a very different kind of Greek than the Koine that they were speaking during the first century. Um, like it's, it's a very different, kind of like i tried for one of my greek classes to translate some of the iliad and it was really really challenging and very difficult because there was a lot of disconnect between the resources that i had available for koine and the resources that would have been required for classical like it's 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 technically a poem too so like you have to take that into account it's not going to that's wild i'll bet that was hard 
And I think, and, and I, but, and again, part of what makes the, the work of the translator so different is there are many different ways to say similar ideas. And so the translators take liberties and then the translators who translate those translations take liberties and so on and so forth. So what we're getting it's with every game of telephone, you know, is exactly like the example that are one of the examples that are, um, professor gave us because you know one of the things he said is it was written to be spoken and so like it's basically a giant run-on sentence with all capital letters there's no spaces or punctuation or anything and so he like with that in mind the sentence is g-o-d-i-s-n-o-w-h-e-r-e how do we translate that it can be god is now here or it could be god is nowhere and so based on the context of what it is we're translating, the context that's again, and a way to illustrate that context matters. What is the context and how does the context help us understand how we should interpret what this says and what this is supposed to say, what the original authorial intent behind this really is. And all of, I mean, that's now we're talking hermeneutics, which is its own fucking thing. What's but that? like, I want to know about this. What is it? It, hermeneutics. That's a cool word. Say it, it a couple is. more times. Hermeneutics, 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 oh, oh, hermeneutics. Oh, 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 hermeneutics. There it is. Um, it, it's basically like uh, interpretation, uh, translation. Like it, it, I had to take, so I was required dude. for my degree. I had to take a class. Were in you hermeneutics. freaking out because it was so fun or was it like really hard and you were freaking out because it was a lot of pressure? It was, it, it, it was, was also rad though, right? It, it had its moments. Um, it was the, the professor was not the most engaging professor, but he was very knowledgeable. Like such a, a fun subject, like such an interesting thing to learn about. We had to, that semester I had to write three exegesis papers. Uh, exegesis, Word. I think I've talked about on this podcast before. I definitely talked about it on uh-huh. our, um, oops, all Christianity corner on Kirk Cameron saving Christmas. Well, remind um, me, I tried to check out during that one because that movie sucked so bad. It sucked really bad. Exegesis is the I'm still it, recovering interpreting scripture by pulling the meaning out of the text, trying to figure out what it is the author is trying to say and extrapolating meaning based on that. And you can look at it from a number of factors, the language they use, the the actual historicity, who the audience is, who the author is, um, the the specifics of that place at that time, like where in the world is it being written at what time? All of those things have a bearing on the meaning of the text. We talk about that a lot with regard to film. I think all art that becomes an essential part of the conversation, mm-hmm. like to understand how revolutionary a movie like Citizen Kane is, you have to understand what film was like before and after Citizen Kane, like mm-hmm. what it is, what, what Citizen Kane did that no other film before it had done, where it's drawing its influences from, and then how film changes as a result after it. And it's you like can kind TV of before Twin Peaks. Ex- exactly. After. Exactly. Very or like much something so. like something like Breaking Bad. You know, you yes. have these milestones where TV just changes forever. Exactly. And that so so the when of it is an important part of that context. The mm-hmm. where of it is an important part of that context. Um, so all of these things matter in interpreting script. So again, the idea is that we're pulling the meaning out of the text. Mm -hmm. The opposite of that is eisegesis, wherein we're reading a text and 
putting our own meaning onto the text, like, which is very much what fundamentalism becomes about. It's this idea of this is what this means because this is what applies to me right now. And this is what I think of when I read it. Therefore, this has to be my understanding of this text. And therefore, because the Bible is true, ultimately true for everybody, it needs to be the way everybody interprets this text. And if you're not, then you're wrong. Which is wild. But that's... The whole last three sentences you said, that's wild. Correct. It's, but... like it's just a circle because... Yes. Like you're... That's how you wow. get there, though, dude. That's wild. And then That's someone, so some I was actually talking to uh, one of our one of our fans on on Insta the other day, Norvin Klein. Hey, Norvin, uh, he'll get Bye. to this episode in like a month. Um, but he, I was talking to him on Instagram the other day, and we were talking about um, he is a patron and a really big fan of the Oops All Christianity Corner episodes. He's like, I don't believe in any of this stuff, but I find it really fascinating. Hey, that's where I'm at, man. That's why I like doing them. Right. And, you know, I mentioned that not everyone is a fan. Not everyone likes it when I, when I do this shit. Um, and he was just like, you know, it, it, that, that strikes me as kind of odd. I was like, you know, open and closed mindedness, it, it falls on both sides. Like people who do believe in Christianity can be very closed minded to people that don't people that don't can be very closed minded to people that do like open and closed mindedness does not need a religious affiliation. Everyone can be open and closed minded to something. But I think we're able to learn more when we're open to the conversation, when we're open to meeting at the table and checking out the reasons why we believe differently. But I think so few people are willing to do that. And I think that's why that's why fundamentalism exists in all of its forms is because there's no willingness to budge on something like that. Like the again, the idea is that if this thing is true then I can't waver on any point of it because if I do, then it all comes crashing down. Um, are you familiar with the creation museum and Ken Ham and answers in Genesis and, and all that? I've heard about the creation museum. It's run by this dude named Ken Ham, who is also like responsible for this website called answers in Genesis, basically short earth or young earth creationism. The idea that everything that exists was created within the span of like 10,000 years max. Um, everything as it exists now within 10,000 years. Um, and it, you know, rejects the notion of evolution in favor of a, um, you know, like a a more pointed, uh, fast tracked, um, creation, et cetera, based on a literal reading of Genesis one. And I have literally heard people that subscribe to this philosophy say out loud that if we start to question in public to people that presumably respected their opinions on things um, that if we, if, if we don't believe this truth that Genesis one literally happened exactly as written, then basically the rest of scripture doesn't matter. And Jesus, Jesus didn't die for our sins. It's, it's, it's a very much a baby with the bathwater kind of thinking that used to infuriate me as a, as a someone who actually takes took this shit seriously still does but like someone who actually like engages with this on a serious because it it completely destroys any conversation like no you have to see it my way or we can't we can't talk like you have to meet me on my terms or there's no conversation and like there's no wiggle room there and that's fundamentalism at its core that is fundamentalism it is a rooted 
stick in the sand. I'm not yeah. budging. I am the I am the tree planted by the water that cannot be moved, and nothing you say or do will convince me that I'm wrong. Uh, yeah, that's and that's why I think uh, it's so fucking scary to see the way that Julianne Moore plays Margaret White because she is absolutely that kind of thinker that kind of person, the kind of person who can rationalize murdering their own child because she believes it's what God wants her to do in that moment. So, so you think she stopped herself because I feel like you can kind of interpret that moment in two ways. You can interpret it that she stopped herself, like she stopped short of it and then reconsidered or uh, maybe, you know, tele- it, maybe that's telekinesis, Kyle. Well, I think at the beginning she stops herself, like with the scissors, like the very beginning of the film where she accidentally gives birth. I'm completely talking about the birth. I know later in the film that's the telekinesis. I'm just saying you could interpret that as the baby stopping her. I don't think so, because when we revisit that later in the film, she says, I I hope they're okay. Later in the film, when they're on the stairs and she's getting ready to stab her again, she said, God, let me keep my baby. She says, I saw you and I loved you. And so my indica- my my thinking is that she stopped herself and now in this moment regrets that she made that decision yes. in the first place. But I feel like also what you just said, that could be interpreted as before she even knew about the the telekinesis stuff. Maybe that was God stopping her to show her that, you know, I feel like that could be something that would enter her mind. You know, Potentially. I'm saying in, in interpreting it that way is not far fetched. Right. That's what I'm saying. Uh, given given what movie it is, I agree. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And given I, I think... kind of thought that was interesting about that whole scene, because you don't get that scene in the original. You don't get the birth scene Th- that this is, I think, the only and I could be wrong. I don't think this scene is in the book either. I think this is the only place we get this scene. Like, and I think it the, only works the, the interpretation that I'm talking about only works if you're familiar with the other adaptations, because if right. you go into this completely blind, your interpretation is, Oh, she just couldn't do it. Right. But if you know, Carrie, there's this little thing in the back of your mind. You're like, what if, what if the baby like stopped her? Like, probably not, but what if like, well, and that's, that's another thing is that, that, I think gets muddied across other adaptations of this is when does this start for Carrie? When did these yeah. abilities kick in? Because my, my impression has always been or had been at least with the first, the first adaptation and what I understood about the book is that it started at puberty. Like she didn't really start to exhibit these until she got her period. And then well, that's when the curse started. She was no in the book and in the, the TV version uh, the first time they show her using her powers is when she sees the neighbor lady. Okay, and then her okay. mom comes out and she's the a little rocks. girl when that happens and she brings the rocks from the sky. That's yeah. That's right. That's right. Okay. So that I, it's kind of ambiguous, at least if in the book and in the TV adaptation. I mean, in the rage, we get it from her as a young girl, yeah, like running through is, the house and the door slamming and the spoon. I twirling love and, that big yeah. long shot of that. That's great. It's a good shot. And you know um, but, what? What Julianne Moore reminds me of the the lady that that plays Rachel's mom in the Rage Carry Two. Mm-hmm. She's not anywhere near as like awful as as Julianne Moore is is playing 
this woman. No. But there is a little bit of it. Whenever I see Julianne Moore's performance, I think of the beginning of Carrie, where, or not Carrie, or the beginning of the Rage Carrie too, when little tiny Rachel comes up and she's like, let's just play, let's go do something. And she just smacks her with a paintbrush. That's again, a Julianne Moore, Carrie's mom kind of thing to do. That I thought, and I didn't mention this on the episode that we recorded yesterday that's coming out on Sunday, but that it felt very much like an allusion to the original film with the blood, like the pig's blood. Mm-hmm. As you get the, like the, Oh the, yeah. I had never considered that. The red on the face, just yeah. like kind of drawing our attention. This is our carry analog for this movie. Yeah. That's why I hadn't considered that. But yeah. Julianne Moore is terrifying in this She's, movie. She is. She, I mean, she even gets she a jump scare movement. When Every Carrie first comes back, on- we're, oh, sorry, like, go ahead. <laughs> we're completely talking over really each other. Are. We're two completely we different things. <laughs> we don't. We're it's it's late, guys. Um, she gets a fucking jump scare moment, like when Carrie comes back from the prom and her mom is broken out of the closet. The oh yeah, when she closet. Do, 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 do. she and does just, a like, like paranoid act or paranoid uh, paranormal activity kind yeah, of just through the skitter, background skitters across the background. I'm like, it's holy good. shit, that's because so terrifying, and not because they did it that way, but because that character is terrifying every time she's on screen mm-hmm. i am uncomfortable i am scared for carrie right. for her mental health mm-hmm. and for her physical health whenever yep. this woman is around like it's just like at the beginning of the movie when she's in the principal's office and they're like yo uh fuck hey hey cassie like <laughs> right hey, we cassie. gotta call your mom and she's like uh are you sure man because maybe that would maybe really suck do that and then that's you once you meet her mom that's you the rest of the movie whatever yep. her mom is there you're like oh oh fuck <laughs> mm-hmm. and i don't get that with piper laurie i don't get that with patty clarkson i absolutely no. get that with with julianne moore because and again it's it's a performance thing but i think she's making the right choices mm-hmm. um, i agree to really sell that which is again why i think the performances in this movie are probably my favorite part of this movie the performances every performance in this movie that i can think of i can't think of any that that weren't awesome um they're really what makes this for me uneven movie an actual good film Mm. without these performances this movie would be fine parts of it would be fine but the fact that everybody's selling it so fucking hard Right. It's easy to overlook the stuff that does not work in this movie, which is about for me half of this movie, and not selling it hard in a way that like reeks of try hard, like you're over trying. No, it's genuine. Like, I believe it. I believe yeah. all the performances in this movie. Yeah, they're they're selling it hard to the extent that you you believe it. Like they're they're actually connecting. Um, and it it I think I think that is what elevates this movie because. I mean, the script is fine. Again, in, in so many moments, okay. it's just a boilerplate remake of Carrie. Like, did we it? I read a review on Letterboxd that I kind of agreed with is I the, the person said, I can't think of another reason why this exists other than money. And I yeah. I get it like it. It feels on that level very craven. But for the performances, I think if we'd done something more with the cyberbullying angle i think that could have really connected that could have really been something but we don't ever really do that we kind well, of because i feel like they have their they have one foot 
in the original, like like cemented in the original. And that's why it looks like a fundamentalist how, despite how effective it is, that's why Carrie and her mother and their house and everything they own and their vehicle just seems so out of place because they're right. they've got that one foot back there that they can't just seem to bring it on up into this mm-hmm. other movie. Whereas honestly, like they should be kind of like a Neo or maybe like a slightly more locked in and, and unhinged version of like the Duggars, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause that's kind of the face of Christian fundamentalism these days or the fucking Duggar family. Like that, that should be again on a much smaller scale. Cause you're, you know, there's only one, the one kid as opposed to like 50, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, dude. I mean, if if we do get this updated version with Hunter Schaefer um, that they've 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 been discussing since October, I don't know if they're still discussing it. Um, I would be interested to see it again. It feels like we get an adaptation of this character and this story about once a decade. And if this is the one that we get for this decade, then I'm I'm into it. Like I I like Hunter Schaefer. I think she's really good on um, Euphoria. Is pretty much all I've seen her in. Um, but she's also in the uh, the new Hunger Games movie that came out last year that I still haven't seen. Yeah, I don't know uh, who that is at all. Uh, you should watch Euphoria, dude. I think you'd probably dig it. Uh, I don't think Either I that or it would infuriate you. I don't know which, but... That's probably the latter. I've, I've seen trailers and stuff. I've watched enough stuff on HBO that I I, I get what it's about. Yeah. And I mean, but like the per- I think that's another one where I think the performances and the writing are both really solid. Word. So, yeah, I would I would totally be into a a Carrie remake for it's not listed on her upcoming films, so I think it might still be in the the conversation stage. But maybe the twenty twenties is the first decade that we don't get a Carrie adaptation. I don't know. Maybe I heard they're they're wanting to do a miniseries, right? Uh, I think that's what that article said. Yeah, I don't remember. I it's been a couple days since I read it, but yeah. Fuck you. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I'm just thinking about some of the really cool parts about this movie. Like, like go off, man. Go off. Let's talk. There's a lot of cool stuff in this movie. Like I say, uh, the performances, the Mm -hmm. opening scene. Mm -hmm. Uh, Actually, look. You're going to know, because I've complained about so much stuff in this movie, by the time this podcast is over, you'll know what I liked about the movie because it's the stuff I didn't mention. Mm. And something I did not like, something Mm. I really, really loathed Mm. more than the epilogue to The Rage Carry 2, which as much as I love that movie, that's fucking stupid. Sure. Um, In this movie, it's the... and ah okay cool i guess we just ended a carry movie did we did we actually end a carry movie that way right yeah Fucking what and again it's it's almost like we can oh, I, I guess God. we can presumably infer that she might not be as dead as we thought because we didn't actually see her get crushed under it doesn't the house infer anything dude it's bullshit like mm-hmm. that whole final sequence is bullshit after it, carrie dies it's bullshit till the credits it's basically our 
we're, we're trying to do the original she's not dead ending without actually doing the original she's not dead ending. I feel like they gave up. They just threw in the towel. They were like, look, we're not going to beat the De Palma scare that even though no matter how many times I watch the original Carrie, I still jump 10 foot out of my seat when her arm comes out of the ground, dude. Yeah. Every fucking time. I think they just conceded. They were like, look, we're not going to beat that. So like fucking whatever. The rest of this movie was pretty all right. Like who gives a shit? Apparently they did originally. There is an alternate ending and it is the ending of the original film. Like Sue comes, puts flowers on the grave. Click, I did read that and it was out. the it was yeah. the test test audiences that decided. Yeah, because I well and again it just I oh, get yeah, why man. they why they say that because it's the same ending as the movie. Like can we do something different? Like I and I mean it's it's a king adaptation. Can, if can she can she come up and spit a snake out into no. <laughs> Sue Snell's mouth? God no. God, no. Let's not do that at all, please. Um, what a terrible idea you just had. Uh, We've got some stock footage of it if you want to use it. It's... Oh, you know what? You know what they should have done? They should have just had her become like desiccated and then shatter like glass. Yes, that would have been even better. God. <laughs> For no reason. Who knows For why? no reason. Who knows why? No. Knows yeah. Why? And I guess it was a dream. With the exception of the original film, I think the epilogues to these these carry adaptations tend they to be the, fail some of the weaker every moments. Time you know, and you're waiting for it too. You're like, all right, that wasn't that bad, but well, here it goes. Here we fuck it. That's how I like, feel in the Rage Carry too. Every time I watch it, I'm like, yeah, that was fucking rad. Like oh, if we fuck this part's coming. <laughs> if oh, we maybe if we'd maybe left it at just like the ground kind of shaking and maybe a crack starting to form at the base of the grave, that would have been something ominous but when we we do the shatter we do the scream and we're it's just kind of like sometimes less is more um and i think that could have been better for this particular adaptation that has really not gone that hard up to this point to suddenly go that hard that quickly right at the end just feels off. It is nice to see the the full circle on Carrie White Burns in Hell. Because mm-hmm. you got Carrie White Burns in Hell in the original. Mm-hmm. And then you have uh, Vankman Burn in Hell in Ghostbusters. <laughs> then you have Clerks Burn in Hell right. in the Clerks animated series. And right. now here we are. We're back. right back at the beginning. Back again. And it is a beautiful circle. Back again. Everything in that circle, I appreciate. That's your hyper-specific letterbox Letterbox list, list. Steven. (laughs) That's the one right there. Not the 1996 fourth movies and long-running franchises that put their villains in the middle of space? That's a good one, too. Okay. But not quite as, like, hyper-specific yeah as contains the phrase burn character in burns in hell or burn in hell right written somewhere in red right yeah i mean it's and i mean it 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 also ties back to the carrie white eat shit graffiti that we see earlier like that even in death she can't get away from the bullying like it just i think compounds her tragic nature as a character um, I, again, the, they could have, they could have used a, a more deft touch on the ending. They didn't have to, 
Tr- and, and I think that's part of the problem with movies that have those iconic endings, like the original Friday the 13th or the original Nightmare on Elm Street, the original Carrie, that if you're trying to remake or revisit them, you feel on some level compelled to go back to an ending like that, to try to to match or, it, or to try to one up or if not match that level of icon- iconography for the ending. And it's not possible. Like you have to do something different. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm at the point where I don't even know how King ended his original novel because I I've never read it a, but B every adaptation has ended differently than his novel. She do be dying at the end of the novel though. Now that I do know that she at least I die. But again, yeah. I, and I, she just, she trashes the whole town in that. But I, like, again, I think because this is town and, and, but she's also tele uh, telepathic in that one too. So she's like broadcasting it to everybody. Oh, so they yeah. know I'm the one doing uh, yes. it. Yes. Fucking a, that's so rad. It's Here's one how of those the, things that works literarily mm-hmm. more than it ever would on film. I really want to see her mom's heart stop in a way that is really rad on screen though. Maybe in the next remake, they'll get maybe. that. Maybe we'll get that. Uh, so apparently the, the, the novel ends with um, the, the town basically like getting aid. Uh, everyone who served, all the teachers that survived retire from teaching. Uh, Sue publishes a memoir. Um, when she gets a, out of Arkham, right? There's, <laughs> right. There's a report investigating other paranormal um, activities and then there's a woman from Appalachia who's writing her sister about her telepathic daughter. And that's the end. That's the sequel hook. Right. Like that's King's sequel hook, but it's we not never the sequel hook of this to movie. The book. I'd, no. I'd read that. Give me Carrie to the book right now, Stephen King. Come on, man. Yeah, man. I mean, look, you, you gave, the, you gave us The Shining too. You can give us Carrie too. And Dr. Sleep was like, no lie, kind of the shit. The movie was really good. I didn't read yeah. the book, but the movie is really good. Like Mike, that yeah, Mike Flanagan guy. Anymore, yeah. That Mike Flanagan guy. He he seems like he knows what he's doing. He's pretty good at making the movies. I mm-hmm. think. Also, the television he's got, shows. He's got a real knack for uh, you know telling stories visually and whatnot with indeed, moving pictures. Indeed, 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 indeed. You know, indeed, he's do. that kind of guy. <laughs> yes, indeed, indeed, do. Word. All right. Word, well, Carrie 2013 opened on Friday, October 18th in the year of our Lord 2013. Oh, uh, it opened in third place the weekend that it came out. Not a great start heading oh. into Halloween weekend. Right. And it's Carrie, dude. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, it opens to $16.1 million in its opening weekend in number one. From Warner Brothers, future Academy Award winner for Best Director, Gravity. What if there was Gravity? Sorry, hey, Sandy I Bullock. liked that movie. It was. No, I mean, it's good. it was. No, it's good. It's good. Uh, in second place, who's the captain now? Clooney. It's Captain Phillips. Uh, in in second place. Yeah, I didn't see that one. In its second week, uh, in third place we have Carrie. Uh, which is the only the the only the, the highest grossing new film opening this week um, right behind it. Another film opening this week. What if we tried to do heat, but with Sylvester Stallone and Arnold Schwarzenegger both past their prime, it's escape plan. 
Hey. Hey from Lionsgate. Uh, that one opens to about mm, just shy of 10 million. Uh, in third place, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs 2. Hey, a movie, I like both of those movies. They're a cute. movie I saw in theaters without ever having seen the first one. Really? That's a shame. Yeah. yeah. Saw that one in theaters. Had no good. idea what was going on. Real, um, real good. Yeah, I, I have since seen the first one, but the second it's one I was just... Another movie I saw in theaters in sixth place, Prisoners, Denis Villeneuve's Prisoners in its fifth week. I don't know what the fuck that is. Oh, dude, that's Hugh Jackman and uh, Jake Gyllenhaal and Melissa Leo and Paul Dano. And it's Ooh, I like about... Paul Dano. Pa- Paul Dano is kind of my I got to watch all the things he's in because I like him that much. So I have it's to a, watch this now. What's it's it a good one. Prisoners. I'm going to warn you now, dude. It's a tough watch. OK, it's, it's a tough watch. Well, that means um, I better watch it sooner or later, because sooner than later, because the older I get, the, the tougher it is to have a tough watch. It's it's about it's about a child abduction. I'll just say that. No, it's, fuck. It, it's a tough watch. Fuck, it's, fuck, fuckity, fuck, fuck. Yeah, is and no, you're a parent. Ransom. Yeah, I, I have. It's honest. It is worse than ransom. Yeah, oh. a lot worse. Yeah, because that's like that's my like ransom is about as far as I can go. I'm about to do. I'm about That's to do a spoiler movie. You guys. I'm about to do a spoiler wow. for uh, for for prisoners. So like, jump ahead five seconds if you don't want to hear it. Okay. Um, starting now, uh, you get to see Hugh Jackman torture a dude. That's cool. I mean, Hugh Jackman is really rad. He is, and he's great in the movie. Like he is hitting. Like the fact that he did not get an Oscar nomination for that movie is kind of wild because I uh, if. He should have gotten it for that and not fucking Les Mis, but you know, yeah. like I like that Hugh Jackman. He's so versatile, man. He just kind of weaves his way in and out of mm-hmm. Hollywood, just doing. He does like the Nick Cage thing, but like everything he's in is incredible, almost. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you know, right, right. It's well, he, but he does so many different things. You look at his filmography, and mm-hmm. like he doesn't really have a. He's never really been t- outside of Wolverine. He's never been typecasted. Well, but he's playing the same character, so it's not really typecasting. It's just right. like continuing that role. Exactly. Uh, it's just the role he's come back to the most amount of times, and one one more time uh, in in next year's in this year's Deadpool. Next year, this year's Deadpool. Later this year. Maybe August. if if maybe if Deadpool three proves popular enough, we'll get a Van Helsing too. Who knows? Maybe I look, man. It, and we'll cover it because we've covered it on this podcast, and we'll have to have Hope back to talk about it because she joined us for the first one. So that sounds fantastic. It does sound fun. There's never going to be a Van Helsing two, Steve. There, I know there's not. I know it's a shame because I think somebody now could take a kind of a a, a lesson from the original and make something that. Mm. And I think yeah, it. I should think we're end... a little more self aware now, and it would be a better, a better thing. But still I, continue. I, I said this year. at the time. It sh- he should connect because he's immortal. He should connect with Rick and Evie from the Mummy movies with Brendan Fraser and Rachel Weisz from the Mummy movies. That's where you start your dark, dark universe. That's that's what I said. That's what I hey, said. Hey, 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 when we covered the episode like three years ago, that's exactly what I said. Hey, 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 Stephen, what are you doing here on this podcast, dude? You d- Go get to Universal and talk to those boys right now. Tell them yeah, your ideas. They don't want to hear what I have to say. I, I would I would give it to them straight, and they don't want that. They want someone. It makes too much it. sense. Probably is what it is. That's it. Uh, rounding out the top ten, you've got uh, enough said in number seven. Julie Louis Dreyfus and James Gandolfini. 
Uh, and number eight, The Fifth Estate, which I think is that like Benedict Cumberbatch, Julian Assange movie. That's exactly what that is. Uh, in ninth place, something called Runner Runner. Um, is that Justin what Timberlake? Is sh- that is Justin Timberlake in that Shrug movie. Shrug Life Tonight. Mm-hmm. The last and thing I temp- remember him in was that one where they you have your life expectancy on your wrist. And oh, that's how you pay with stuff. It's called like In Time or something. Oh god, and like that sounds awful. your your amount of time to live is like a constantly ticking clock on your wrist. And to pay for things, you can use your time to pay for mm. things. And people try to steal your time. Like it's gotcha. It's a really amazing concept. It's a fucking shitty movie. I was gonna say that sounds like one of those movies that's better in concept than in execution. High concept that like the trailers, man. I was so excited. I went and saw that movie. I almost walked out of it like halfway through. But I, when I pay, I mean, it takes a lot for me to walk out of a movie I paid for, and I paid for that one. So the only I've, one I've actually I've physically walked out of, I did not pay for, and that's the only reason I did it. I've I've uh, I've never walked out of a movie I paid for. Um, and we'll we'll talk about the movie that I came closest to doing that on this podcast one day because it is a failed franchise starter. Word. Um, in tenth place, you've got James Wan's Insidious Chapter Two. Oh, hey, people like that movie. That's a good sequel. It's uh, I haven't seen any either. of the other Insidious movies after it, but I've seen the first two. So really yeah, good. I think I, I think I just saw the first one. Uh, it opened to about sixteen million and garnered over the course of its uh, box office run thirty-five point three million domestic, another forty-seven point one international, for a grand total of about eighty-two point four million worldwide. Doesn't even crack a hundred million worldwide. That's off of a thirty million dollar budget. Thirty million dollar budget, though. That's almost three times the budget. So right, I mean, but again, you're bad. also not factoring also, in. What do you? How do you do a sequel to Carrie? Like point in case. How the fuck do you? You don't. Like, <laughs> come on, man. Like you can't. How do you make a but, sequel to that? Well, again, you you go the Stephen King route. There are other people who are exhibiting these traits. You examine another part. That's more of, of a shared of, universe sort of thing. Like like make it. Oh yeah, we can't have Dr. sequels Sleep, do you know? that. No, I'm saying it would be more of that than a direct sequel. It would right. be more of a like a universe, a world expanding sort of thing. Which I think it should be. Okay. I mean, particularly because I don't. When, but I, that's cool. I mean, I when you. It when you think about what Stephen King's novels are like, like he's constantly dropping references to other shit. Like there's, we we have reason to believe that like Carrie's dad and the girl from Firestarter are like from the same, like the center, I think is what it's called. Don't those those dark tower books talk about how like all that stuff happens within like the same continuity, like, and there's this huge multiverse or whatever. Go back and listen to our dark tower episode for all that shit. Like we had, we had to bring in a couple edited you guys. It's the first one I ever edited. We had to bring in a couple ringers for that episode because we did not understand it at all. Um, so we brought in a couple of our friends, uh, Mandy and Molly Gossage who had read those books and knew them fairly well to bless them. help us bless them bless. for doing all of that work for us <laughs> bless them both yes absolutely um so yeah this movie was not uh was not going to get a sequel even if they wanted one which again i have no reason of thinking they didn't um i'm just saying it did okay though i don't think it did poorly it, it but it, even it, with, bar- it, even it with didn't make back enough okay. of its budget 
to warrant a sequel because again they poured a no, lot into the marketing on this one i'm just saying a lot of these movies that we cover on here just like did fucking horribly well and one, again it didn't do bad it didn't do great but it i mean people made money but they here's got the thing. their money I back and they made a little on did. top i don't know that they, they did. did it's it's like like you see these reports of like these big hollywood blockbusters that are coming out like within the past year and it's like one of the least profitable years in Hollywood. Like we talked about it on the flash episode in particular, right? Like mm-hmm. that movie had to make like 400 million to break even because yeah. of all the stuff that they put into like all the aspects of that production. But the projected budget of that movie was half of that, but to break even they had to make twice that. So like, this is just the projected budget. So if we do that with every movie, this movie has to make at least 60 domestic to break even it doesn't hit I'm that saying. number. Oh, 60 domestic, domestic to gotcha, break even, yeah. and it doesn't do that. Like, so I think that's I think that's the way we kind of realistically need to look at these. Is the return on the investment is not high enough given their perceived cost and ana- cost benefit analysis? It's not high enough for them to warrant. Hollywood math is notoriously murky because I don't think anyone really wants you to know how much money they're making. Because I think they always need to like, we're going to, I think if you want to know what's making money in Hollywood, look at what they're green lighting, look at what they're signing off on. And I think that's the biggest way to tell after Marvel, everyone was green lighting either superhero stuff or shared universe stuff. Or now, just comic now the, book stuff in general, if you can right. say that it has something to do with a comic book, even if it's a Western, well, that was like, after X Men in particular, it. after he must not be named X Men in particular, that was absolutely what happened. Mm-hmm. And then it was like, well, now we've got you to figure your out what works. You have OGs like Men in Black. <laughs> right. But then it's the what works, what doesn't. And then once we hit on Iron Man and once we hit on Avengers, like those became the bellwethers that carried us through to where we are now. And now that's starting to fumble. So what are the two biggest movies of this year? It's Barbie and it's Oppenheimer. So what are we signing off on? We're signing off on Chris Nolan and we're signing off on Toys. Not because Barbie is this like nuanced, like high concept thing that explores right. like femininity and the patriarchy and all this shit. No, no because it's an IP and we have similar IPs. So and let's that's do what that. sells. Right. <laughs> right. And that's what that's what why Barbie did. We're well. still doing Transformers, right? Yeah. Keep pumping those out. Let's go. Right. And and this year, fuck it. They're going to cross over with G.I. Joe because why the who not? cares? Who gives right. a shit? Who, who and then they'll have a Barbie crossover with all of that somehow. Right. Exactly. Like completely it, ruining the, the original. <laughs> yes. Completely ruining anything. Shitting anyone, all over it. <laughs> any concept of art that any of these movies like Jaws two, like worse than Jaws two. Just take Commerce a giant dump the on enemy the original. of art. Commerce is the enemy of art. Um, but that's the only reason that art is able to get made is if people pay for say, it. There is no so, art without commerce though. So like not in the way that or, we, it's a, it's a fucked up Ouroboros, but there it is. Yeah. yeah dude. There's been a lot of those in this podcast. Lots of, mm-hmm. lots of snakes eating their tails tonight. Well, and man. I feel like, I feel like that's one. I mean, particularly this conversation right here, like this whole money making, what is Hollywood green lighting? That's kind of the crux of this podcast is because so often Hollywood will miss the mark or misunderstand why a certain thing did well. And they'll try to copy it without understanding what it is and why it worked. And so we end up with something like this it's a horror remake this is 2013 yeah the bloom was off the rose with some of these horror remakes that were getting pumped out but it definitely fits 
along a lot of those, like that starts with 2003's Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Marcus Nispel. Um, like it fits along those same lines with a lot of those. So why not? Why not remake Carrie? That that fits, but we're not bringing enough into it to make it interesting or to make it stand out or to set it apart from what's come before that it just kind of feels again, very boilerplate um, performances are phenomenal, but one per one or two performances alone are not enough to rest the success of an entire movie on when 95% of people aren't going to movies to see performances. So, yeah, well, I mean, like I said before, 50% of this movie is a really cool adaptation of both the book and the other film. And the other half of it is just a soulless retread of what De Palma did in the original. Yeah. And it's, that's what, like, I do like this movie, but depending on what kind of mood I'm in, like, if I'm in a grumpy mood and I watch this movie, I'm going to hate this movie. Yeah. I I get it, man. Because, because like, there's so much good stuff, but it's padded up with so much shit that's just like, why is this here, number one? Mm And right. number two, why is it this way? Why why do I all of a sudden well, I was in this really cool thing that felt modern and and like a new interpretation, a modern retelling of something, and now all of a sudden what am I doing back in the other one? Right. What's going on? What's going I'll on tell here? you I'll, I'll give you an example of a movie that I think does what you're wanting this movie to do better than this movie. It's the kind of the opposite side of the coin. Comes out the same year as this one. It's a movie we covered like in the first month that we had this fucking podcast ages ago, evil dead, the 2013 evil dead remake. Mm-hmm. It, it retreads a lot of the same ground, but in it's, a new and interesting way, brings a lot a of new remake. stuff to the table. Exactly. Brings a it's lot of new there. stuff to the table and, and injects so much different into it that it adds to the lore of the original while still being its own, very separate, very unique, very excellent thing. Well, that's the, the biggest influence on my rating is I have to think of this as a remake and mm-hmm. as just a film on mm-hmm. its own. Is it a good remake? No, I don't think so, honestly. Overwhelmingly, I mean, more often than it is, than it is, no, it's not. Is it a good movie? Yeah, it's pretty good. I really yeah. like it. Yeah, I, I had fun. Good. Not a good remake, but a pretty good movie. Pretty good movie. <laughs> Right. And again, like really cool it, shit it, in there. It when I was uh, a theater director uh, at one of the first schools that I taught at, the theater director, the the person who was the actual director of the program, I was the assistant, but she loved to do musicals and she would do musicals that were very popular, like My Fair Lady or Wizard of Oz and I'm like, we're not going to do those musicals as well as those movies if people want to see those musicals, they can just stay home and watch those musicals and see them done a lot better than we're going to do them. Why don't we do something unique that not everyone else is doing or has done a million times? Um, But I always got definitive version. Yes. I, but I always got outvoted on those. Although we, me and the music director did end up talking her into into the woods before that movie got made. So I consider that a win. Did you get to keep the full, fully erect fox penis? Of course not. No, of course not. Oh, I taught at a Christian school. A fox or a not. wolf? It's, it's a, a wolf, wolf, right? Yeah, yeah that's the right. big, the big bad 
Wolf. Yes. Okay, so I've seen the film version, but I've also seen a filmed version of the play. Same. And that wolf is just sporting just a human dick fully yeah. erect. There is there is a dildo literally hanging off the front of that wolf costume. Why? And a very large one as well. Um, just be- because insanely large because so much of those original Grimm's fairy tales were about the dangers of like children wandering off and so you add that it it works as both text and subtext particularly when you listen to a the lyrics of the song that he's singing and b the lyrics of the song that she sings after she escapes from the wolf um both of those are very clearly talking about innocence lost and it is um, in that with that added layer of context, it it deepens what the play is actually about. I'm just saying, I don't know if I needed the the huge erect penis to kind of drive that home. I feel like that the songs do a good enough job, and like, hey, that's that's a that's a choice that the people who made that play made. The director, and like, I stand behind that. that. Yeah. Like, that's fucking rad as shit. Do whatever you want to do. It's just that's not like that's. Fucking, I don't get it. <laughs> hey, Tucker, you remember like, 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 great, dude, like, whatever, but I don't get it. You remember 15 minutes ago when we were getting ready to end this podcast? Yeah, dude, what happened? I, I count on you to steer you, us home. You fucking Steven. derailed us so I would fucking never, hard. I would you never always. do that. Tomatometer score on this film is 50%. Critics consensus it boasts a talented cast, but Kimberly Pierce's, quote, reimagining of Brian De Palma's horror classic finds little new in the Stephen King novel and feels woefully unnecessary. Uh, the meta score on this one is a 53 based on mixed or average reviews from 34 critics. And the Letterboxd score is a 2.5. So pretty much right down the middle. Tucker out of five stars. How are you rating 2013's carry? This is a 2.75 for me. Because right. I really, really, really want to give it a three, but I just can't. Whereas I can and did give it a three. So, yeah, that's where I land. So on it averages out at about three. Yeah. I'm okay with that. Yeah. Yeah. It it ends up being about a three. So Which is uh, like a three point eight something. But that's yeah, fair. I'm, There's just a few things in this movie that as much as I'm enjoying myself, sometimes something will creep up. That's just so I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah. Why? And which like, I've discussed many of those things. You <laughs> have in the last two hours of this podcast. One of the few things that, that bothered me that I didn't really bring up is like, and I brought this up on the 2013 evil dead episode that kind of like it was, and it was really popular in horror at the time that kind of unnaturally like jerky, motion thing that we added in just about every horror movie around that time. I don't yeah. care for it. I don't much like it. And um, Carrie was doing that at toward the end when she was uh, doing her telekinesis thing. And it, it kind of bugged me a little bit, but it was, it was such a small part that I was able to kind of move past it fairly yeah. well. But yeah. Yeah. I do. I do like this movie. Like this is a movie I, I will watch again at some yeah. point. Like, we didn't have to do a podcast on this for me to watch it sometime in the next like year or two. Like right. I would have watched it anyway, even though I've yeah. seen it like four or five times already since it came out. Right. And I'm considering um, maybe adding it to my collection at some point in the future, along with the, I need to find a good 4k version of the original too. Um, but I would not mind adding both of those to my collection. So the original, because of what I said before about uh, 
my mom liking it so much. I've seen it so many times over the years. It kind of pains me to say that while I still love that movie, it's one I just like I've just seen it so many fucking times, man. Sure, man. Like I watched it a couple of years ago with Jimmy and like after we watched, it, I was like, that was great. But I just don't know how many more I got in me. <laughs> like, Which is fair, man. Uh, like, Whereas fuck, I, I mean, it's I've, like Sweet Home Alabama, man. I've heard it so many times. Is it wonderful? Sure. Whatever. But oh, my gosh, I'm just I'm done with it. Kind of done with it. I mean, it's and great. I've only it's seen it a few times. A like, I've I didn't get to share my carry history, but like I, I I engaged with it during the pandemic and during lockdown. Like you engaged with ninety percent of everything you've seen in your life. <laughs> Correct. Um, at least as far as horror goes, yeah. Yeah. Um, engaged with it during the pandemic for the first time and didn't really think about any of the other movies in the franchise. Didn't really care. Uh, and then. Earlier this week, when I remembered we were doing Carrie, I was like, well, I want to watch all the Carries, so, so I oh, have a place to talk about. this was your first time to see any of them except for the first one. Correct. Yeah. I think you implied that before, but I and like I kind of caught on to it, but I wasn't sure if that's what you Yeah, meant. no, I hadn't seen any of these since then, so now I have kind of a definitive idea. And I, I find it very interesting that this is one of the more adapted King properties, but I th- again, I think it's because of the universality of the high school experience and how while the circumstances change the people don't people continue to be shitty um and so because of that art is possible (laughs) yeah dude but yeah that is the end of our 20 episode on 2013's carry it is also the end of our stephen king miniseries oh get it Woo! i'm i I feel really bad about that guy's penis honestly um (laughs) But uh, that is the end of our Stephen King miniseries for January. Next month, uh, it will not be another miniseries, but we do have uh, some, honestly, some really fun episodes uh, coming your way. I'm actually kind of excited. We've, of course, got our buddy Mike Snoonian back for our annual Valentine's episode as well. That's going to be a treat. So keep uh, your eyes on the social medias. Of course, if you're a patron, you get to know what we're covering at the (gasps) beginning of every month. So head on over to patreon.com slash pod, pay us five bucks a month. And in addition to knowing early, you also get episodes to, I want to say, I, I would say weekly, but we all know that the last week's didn't drop because Tucker, but the, what are we watching uh series that it, we, what, what we, it'll get there before this comes out. I promise. Also the episode um, of unenfranchised that we've been discussing will drop in just a couple of days on the rage carry too. So if you're a fan of that yeah. movie and not a patron, get over there. Uh, we've covered Look, a lot. I might of... drop that early just because I'm really excited to get it out. I might put it out uh, like f- Saturday, maybe, I mean, maybe even Friday. It's winter. No one's going out, Stephen. It'll be fine. Uh, well, Old it's supposed blood. to be warming up next weekend, at least here yeah, here in the Midwest. Well, it is. So, yeah, well, yo, you're Ooh. not wrong, though. Next month is stacked like it starts mm-hmm. off kind of weak sauce. But like once you get to the middle, man, it don't stop. Yeah, and then and then we head into March, and honestly, I'm very excited about what we got planned for March. March too. is like pretty we, exciting too, for a lot of reasons. And for then we've got another theme month coming up in April, a, a sequel theme month to one we've done before. Hmm. Dude, um, look, remember the hell you put me through at the end of last year with all those cartoon movies and all those shitty movies you made me watch? It was like two months there where like it was pretty consistently shitty movies and like i just wanted to punch myself in the face the entire time I but mean, you, you know what steven this, but sure you've got you this is good i like this the next three months 
way into it, way uh-huh. fucking into it. We've, we've, we honestly do have some really great stuff. Uh, we've got a, a, a few really good uh, guests planned, uh, some new, some returning. Um, so just, I mean, just buckle up guys. Cause we, we do have a lot of fun stuff heading your way. Uh, in the good. meantime, you can find us on social media. You can find us at disenfranchpod on uh, Blue Sky, Instagram, Letterboxd, and Facebook. Also YouTube as well. Please give us a follow over there. Watch all of our episodes on YouTube. Uh, Tucker's working on getting us into YouTube music. He's going to look into that this week. Maybe that'll happen by the time this episode drops. Maybe it won't. Uh, you'll just have to wait and find out. Um, yeah, that's my and, bad because I didn't realize until like two days before they shut down um, YouTube or they shut down Google, Google Podcasts. Podcast. Yeah, I didn't know anything about that till like two days before it happened. So sorry if I had known about it in advance, I would have. We'd already be there. Like, right? We're getting there. I, yeah, I'm working we're, on it. We're getting there. It's gonna um, be rad. Like yeah. Joe says that it's fucking rad. So like I'm excited yeah, to do it. I he just he bad, swears guess. by it. Yeah, he's really excited about it. Um, that is friend of the show, JP Leck. Um, you can also hit us up on email, disenfranchpod at gmail.com. What, what films failed franchise starters would you like to hear us cover in the future? Um, what are, you know, you can just write us and say, hi, introduce yourself. Uh, what's your favorite carry movie? Yeah. What, yeah. I want to know what your favorite carry movie is. Um, disenfranchpod at gmail.com again is that address. Uh, I'm your host, Stephen Foxworthy. You can find me on, uh, Instagram letterboxd and, Blue Sky at Chewy Walrus. Uh, the absent Brett Wright can be found on Blue Sky Instagram and Letterbox at sus underscore warlock. I think it's just sus warlock on Blue Sky. Tucker, where can we find you these days? I'm on the YouTubes and the Instagrams at ice909. That's I C E N I N E, the number zero and the number nine. Uh, also, Tux Mugs is still going on. Um, it is. I think the schedule that I'd like to stick with moving forward would be a post every two weeks. Okay. I'd like to do more, honestly. And at some point that might be possible, but it's going to have to grow for that to happen. Understood. You know? It's like those YouTubers, man. And it, it you got to put work into it. You can't we, just we got like, lives if you have a full time job, yeah. Like unless you you get enough going on to where it can be your full time job, I'm just gonna wait for that shit to drop. That's it. So. And we ain't making that much right now, so yeah. No, dude. Sponsors are not rolling in. Surprisingly, they are not. Tragically, so, they're not. Uh, she forgot to mention the page, but I feel like Tina Fey endorsed us the other night. <laughs> Talking about her scary mug. Yeah, yeah. I feel like if she knew about Tuck Mugs, she'd straight up follow the fuck out of it for sure. I feel like maybe you should you should reach out to her on uh, on the internet. Well, I I feel like I need. We know to... you. We know you have some success with uh, getting in contact with celebrities on the internet. So not the director of the Rage Carry Two, unfortunately, because I gotta find out why that motherfucker was filmed in four three. I mean, please, you got, I you need got Patty to know. Arquette yelling at you, man. Mister, I gots to know. Yeah, she still has. Yeah. She still has straight up not said anything. Honestly, though, I don't think she's been on Instagram for a while. Yeah, like the last thing too. she posted was in October of last year. So come on, Cat Shay, I gotta talk to you, dude. I gotta know why was it four three? 
Why? Why? I don't know. Maybe when we cover her Nancy Drew movie with Sophia Lillis, she'll we can try to reach out to her again. And you can get but that look, question like, answered. How weird is it? Though? Nobody's ever done that. No one's ever noticed that before. Do you think anybody in the history of that film has ever done what I did yesterday? I don't think anyone else but you cares enough to do what you did. That's partially what I'm saying. So no one else has. No- I guarantee you no one else has noticed this. I feel like I'm on. I just. I need resolution to it because like it's not every day that you're the first person to notice or think of something doesn't happen every day. Rarely happen. Some people go entire their entire lives and never have an original fucking thought or discovery, but your boy found that shit. And so I gotta, I gotta know, man. Anyway. Yeah. Tuck mugs, tuck underscore mugs on Instagram. Like you trying to look at some mugs on the internet. Tuck mugs is the spot. There you go. That's it. Uh, and so that is all we've got. Join us next week again. We're kicking off a great run of episodes next week. So join us then. Sorry, go ahead. Until next time, this has been the Disenfranchised Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Foxworthy. For Tucker and the absent Brett Wright, until next time, remember, they're all going to laugh at you. Hey, Plug it up, would you?